You're in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. With Gene and Chris in the Paracast, we're going to take a detour from mostly UFOs this week, a little bit later in the show. But right now, we want to just take a moment or two to observe the passing of a fellow traveler. And I mentioned him briefly in last week's episode. It's a small universe of people who have produced paranormal radio year after year. And a lot of us are a little bit older than we used to be. I expect I'm in the same age group as Art Bell or George Norrie or, as a matter of fact, our friend Don Ecker. So we never know. Of course, we have these young up-and-coming whippersnappers like Christopher O'Brien. <laughs> Jeez. Well, wow, I don't feel young. Well, speak for yourself, my friend. Yeah. But I know you were on the show every so often, Kevin Smith, and he has been doing online radio since the early 2000s, kind of a little bit before I got into the game with the Tech Night Out Live. He was treated in the hospital for a heart condition, and then when he left the hospital, he was seized and he didn't survive. An unfortunate thing, because the guy wasn't all that old. You know, if a person doesn't live to 110 these days, I think they could have hung around for a few more years, like Jim Mosley. Anyway, Kevin Smith is no longer with us, but you knew him and you were on his show. Yeah, actually, I was one of his first guests way back in, I think it was 2004, 2005. Uh, Kevin... Uh, you know, was a was a pretty uh, interesting guy, uh, and uh, I think a fairly up to speed host uh, for the you know the width and breadth of subject matter that uh, these types of shows, Kevin's show, our show, um, coast to coast. You really have to you know have uh, a, a bit of research kind of chops under your under your hat, and Kevin managed to uh, I think stay ahead of the curve in in a lot of the subject areas and. I thought he was a very good radio host and had a very interesting background, uh, spent a lot of time overseas. Uh, I think he trained law enforcement officers actually uh, overseas at one point. And, you know, I did do a show on, on quite a number of occasions and always had a good time. He he seemed a little bit uh, entrenched in a particular reality view. But, um, you know, after you've been exposed to this stuff for the amount of years that he had, and, and of course, you and I have, Gene, uh, you do tend to lose a little bit of your objectivity, I think. I think you make up your mind in, in some ways, um, shapes and forms. And and Kevin was like that. But uh, I recall the last time I was on his show, uh, he kept insisting that uh, Pakal, King Pakal Votan, of course, who was the Mayan king riding the rocket ship in the famous Von Donneken uh, interpretation, you know, I've been to Planque a number of occasions, um, very familiar with the archaeology of the spot, and I had a hard time uh, talking to him that uh, Pakal was not eight feet tall. He was uh, under six feet tall, and uh, he just, <laughs> I was wrong and he was right. So, you know, I mean, Kevin was, was kind of like that. He um, he was pretty uh, definitive in, in his uh, particular beliefs and stuff, and that's okay. I thought he made a very great uh, radio host, was very gracious, and uh, he'll be sadly missed, I think. Uh, he had a lot of fans out there. But anyway, we're certainly sad to see one of our fellow travelers no longer with us, our best to his family and his friends. And there you go, Kevin Smith. No relation, by the way, to the one in show business, the other Kevin Smith. I know when you try to look him up online, that gets to be rather confusing. 
Yeah, it's a rather rather common name. Um, but uh, but Kevin was an uncommon guy. I really I really did enjoy doing his show, and you know I didn't do it uh, too many times, half a dozen or so. But over the years, I I you know touched bases with him, and we did uh, we did talk on the phone from time to time and compare notes. And uh, you know he was a really nice guy. I remember when he visited Sedona about three or four years ago. Uh, we had a nice talk, and and uh, and he seemed uh, pretty excited about how the show was going, and. You know, again, you're right, Gene. It's it's really sad when we lose people, uh, you know, too soon. Uh, Kevin, I think, uh, had a lot of life, and 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 you know, it's too bad that we're not going to be able to uh, see where he was going to take his his show and 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 some of the things that he was uh, investigating and researching. And I have to be honest with you, I wasn't terribly familiar with the show. I hadn't listened to it. And not because I'm trying to be a big muckety-muck or anything or an egomaniac. The thing is here, I am so busy with my two shows, this one and the Tech Night Out Live, and my writing and research, I don't have time to listen to other shows. No criticism intended. I just don't have the time. Speaking of making time to do things, you, of course, are taking valuable time away from a certain book that you're writing, Stalking the Herd. I want to understand this because you mentioned this on last week's episode with Mr. Fox, and that is you had to go back to, was it New Mexico because something you had assembled, some material, disappeared or you left it there? Yeah, and that was kind of a strange, uh, I still haven't figured out what what happened. Um, Yeah, I ended up missing about five pounds of, of research that I had, you know, combed through and and selected over, gosh, over a week, and and uh, I got home, opened my bag, and it was gone. Um, I didn't, I never saw it from the time that I packed it at my brother's house to to the time that I opened it up, expecting to see it, see the file, and and start going through it uh, very excitedly. Uh, you know, I spent quite a a bit of time combing through uh, probably the largest database related to the unexplained uh, livestock death phenomenon, David Perkins Library, and. And much to my, uh, you know, just absolute joy and, and thankfulness, he spent an entire day recreating and recopying everything that I had lost. So I've I've finally um, back in the driver's seat again with uh, you know the majority of the material that uh, ended up missing. One of the things that really kind of uh, was a little irking was um, all the police reports. Uh, that uh, Greg Valdez, who of course we had on uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, he supplied me with copies of all his dad's cattle mutilation official police reports, and and those I haven't replaced. Uh, and you know, it's it's just one of those things. You know, you just don't know. I, I'm not really prone to uh, you know <laughs> flying off into paranoia and conspiracy and all that, but it is a little strange that uh, the material disappeared and that I was kind of held up from taking the first bus in the morning, had to wait five hours to take the second bus in the afternoon, and uh, come to learn that they had overbooked the first bus by 11 people, which is unheard of in the bus business. I thought they only did that with airplanes. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, You don't oversell uh, bus seats. Oh, boy. What kind of – you had to stand all the way, I bet, like a New York subway. Seriously, how long a trip is it? Well, it's only five and a half hours from Albuquerque to Flagstaff, which is uh, you know where the the closest that the bus will stop. Uh, you know, I'm south of about an hour from Flagstaff, but but uh, you know, I guess the the story has a happy ending. I'm I'm sitting here looking at uh, uh, maybe four pounds of <laughs> material that I'm uh, compiling the hardest chapter of the book, the the 1970s and the thousands of cases that were reported 
some legit, some not, uh, with the hysteria that swept the Midwest and Rocky Mountain states in 74, 5, and 6. A uh, very, very dense, very difficult uh, chapter to write. And the only real go-to guy uh, in this particular time period for, for these cases is David Perkins, uh, hence my trip there. But um, I did make a trip up to Colorado here this last weekend. And, uh, boy, we sure had a lot of sightings up in the San Luis Valley. There were five in two days uh, that I was up there. And uh, I'm happy to say that we've... Uh, we're well on the way of getting our second camera up uh, for this uh, San Luis Valley camera project, and we we finally finalized the details for a uh, high-speed internet connection for the entire system, which is a major, major hurdle that we've been struggling with. Once we, we do that, by the way, to make a long story short, once we do that, we'll try to work out a way to present it on Chris's site. It's not an easy thing because some of the techniques we're going to try are no longer being done. So I suggested an HTML5 solution, which may mean nothing to anybody, but maybe it'll work. This week we will focus on something other than UFOs, or at least I don't think it has anything to do with UFOs, and that is The Van Meter Visitor, and the subtitle of this book from Chad Lewis, Noah Voss, and Kevin Lee Nelson is A True and Mysterious Encounter with the Unknown, The Van Meter Visitor. Is it a Mothman in the Midwest? More to come with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Classic science fiction at its best. Available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R O C K O I D S dot com. Mike Stennerson for Midas Resources. At no time in history have precious metals been more important, certainly not in my 22 years in the industry. The dollar has lost over 90% of its value in the last 60 years. No fiat currency has ever survived the government printing presses. Ours is not immune. The time is now to be proactive. 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. Anything tied to the dollar is at risk. CDs, annuities, 401ks, IRAs, stocks, bonds, you name it, so decide. Do you want to leave a legacy of wealth or debt for your family? The choice is yours. Call me at 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. That's 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. Be proactive, not reactive. Call 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. What's safer and cheaper than prescription drugs? Glad you asked. 
The answer is Renovation Teas. Herbal remedies are much safer and much cheaper than prescription drugs. Taste great, and most importantly, herbal teas are effective and non-addictive. Renovation Tea is especially unique, and here's why. We spent years researching herbs and their beneficial properties. Renovation Teas uses only 100% organic, fair trade herbs. Our teas are blended towards specific ailments and health conditions, such as diabetes, blood pressure, anxiety, libido, detox, and much more. All Renovation Teas are formulated and hand-filled in Arkansas. Take care of yourself naturally, the way Mother Nature intended. Order Renovation Teas at RenovationTea.com or call 870-784-3121. That's 870-784-3121. Renovation Teas. Renovate your health one bag at a time. Hey, all you Dead Doctors Don't Lie fans, this is Justin Baker. If you missed the Doc Wallach Seminar in January right here in Santa Cruz, then now is your chance to see him again. Dr. Wallach is going to be doing a Central California Health Tour the first week in September 2013. You'll have four opportunities to attend his world-renowned health lecture, which is helping people from around the globe reverse disease. Doc will be at the Pacific Cultural Center at 1307 Seabright Avenue in Santa Cruz on Tuesday, September 3rd. The doors open at 6.30 p.m. On Wednesday, September 4th at 6.30 p.m., we will be in Modesto at Soul Harvest Worship Center, 4718 Greenleaf Court, followed by two lectures on Thursday, September 5th at 10.30 a.m. at Mosswood Park Great Hall at 3612 Webster Street in Oakland. And the last event of the health tour will be in Sacramento the evening of September 5th at 6.30 p.m. at the Church of Scientology at 1007 6th street don't miss these life-changing events seating is limited so contact me today at 831-331-9523 that's 831-331-9523 to reserve your free vip seats we'd like to hear from you if you have a comment or question about the paracast send it to news at the that's news at the And if you'd like to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com. Or check us out at iTunes. So probably we're not going to talk about UFOs today. I know some people write us and say, why is it always UFOs? And part of that is because I came up from the UFO field Chris is a counterbalance because he's covered cattle mutilations and all sorts of other stuff, ghosts and things like that. We've also done shows about strange creatures. We had one show where we devoted a long segment to the Flatwoods Monster. But with Chad Lewis today, and he's one of the authors of the Van Meter Visitor, we're talking about what? Is this like a batwing creature? Or, Chad, is this a mothman in the Midwest? Tell me more. Yeah, we certainly don't know. It may be the predecessor to the the Mothman that appeared in West Virginia in the 60s. What we know is that it's an eight-foot giant bat-like creature with large featherless wings that has this blunt horn sticking out of its forehead. Oh, well, I don't uh, want to meet up one of those in the dark alley here, I'll tell you. (laughs) Right. It's really, it has a lot of similarities to the Mothman, but... Also, some differences that I've never encountered before in my my research of strange creatures. Like the glowing horn. (laughs) Yeah, it has this glowing horn. It also has the ability to emit some strange odor that seems to wipe away the memory of those who encounter this odor. So, again, it has several similarities, but many differences as well. All right, the amnesia 
capability. Now, that's wacky. I haven't heard of that before. And, of course, I haven't studied all the cases on the universe. But is that unique, the ability to cloud people's minds so they can't see them? It sounds like the shadow. Maybe the Van Meter visitor was an influence of the shadow. Yeah. Also, it seems to fit more in ufology and UFO reports of alien abduction, where abductees report not only having their missing time or missing memories, but also false memories, a memory of seeing a giant four-foot squirrel or a rabbit with these large black almond eyes. So it's almost as though these beings put the memory into the abductees. So it's very similar to that on, on those aspects. Well, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves here a little bit, Chad. Let's, let's uh, take it back and set the stage uh, about the town. Give us a little bit of background of what was going on there. Of course, talk about the mine and, and other important pertinent elements that, that actually figure prominently later on in the story, especially the, the initial sightings on the rooftop. So why don't we take it, take it to the beginning? Why don't you uh, give everyone a, a bit of a setup here in the background? Imagine it's 1903 and you're in rural Iowa. You're about 20 miles southwest of Des Moines in a small town called Van Meter, which was about 900 residents, mostly farmers. They had the typical couple saloons, a small hotel. When you think of a rural Iowa town, you're probably thinking of Van Meter. So nothing out of the ordinary happened there very often. And it wasn't until about 1 a.m. one evening when a local implement dealer was coming back into town when he noticed a ball of light hovering over the building. He thought it was a burglar, which was an obvious choice back then. So he proceeded with caution. But as he got close to this ball of light, it simply disappeared and then reappeared directly across the street and then disappeared into the night before he could even investigate it. And he really didn't think anything of it. He told a few people about it the next day. But again, it was just a, a ball of light hovering over a building, probably just a prowler or burglar. So it started off really slow. After this, what happened next once he saw this thing for the first time? Sure. As far as he knew, it was a ball of light. He talked about it to other residents the next day. But that next evening... About 1 a.m. again, a local doctor who was sleeping above his office in the same building that he worked in, he was woken up by a bright light blinding in his office window. And the newspaper said that he grabbed his gun and ran outside where he saw what he reported to be this half-human, half-animal with giant bat-like wings and the, the horn protruding from its forehead. And this guy blasted at close range five shots at this beast and when he noticed that he either missed or the bullets had no effect he saved the last bullet i think for himself and he ran back into the safety of the apartment he was in and he waited for daylight to arrive i know it's interesting here the shoot first ask questions later kind of belief is that common among cases that involve <laughs> strange creatures in that particular point in time we have to remind everybody we're talking about 1903. Yeah, 1903 rural Iowa. If you were afraid of burglars coming after you, most of the townsfolk probably were armed and they would shoot. Because if you were foolish enough to try to rob these places, you were foolish enough to deal with the consequences. So I didn't think it was that outrageous for the doctor 
to start blasting at something that was coming into his home or his office. And certainly he felt threatened enough to unload his weapon on it. So it wasn't affected, was it? No, like I said, either he missed all five, which he shot at less than 15 feet away, or this thing was impervious to the human weapon. I don't know, but it had no effect whatsoever. And that's what I think really spooked him, is that he ran back and retreated because he realized that his weapon was just of no use whatsoever. How did you find out about this case? Give us a little background on what prompted you to uh, do the amount of digging that you did. And this is not easy research to do going back over 110 years. Uh, I mean, this is this is pretty rarefied uh, realm in paranormal investigation in terms of research. How did you find out about it? My co-authors, Noah Voss and Kevin Nelson, we were planning a legend trip into Iowa to explore some of the, the best paranormal cases. And we had a lot of good stuff lined up, a cemetery where a black angel of death if you go in there at midnight, you'll die. We had a an old abandoned town where a werewolf-type creature was said to prowl. But we were missing that one anchor that would just make it an amazing legend trip. So I started going through my old files, and I had done a series of books from the late 1800s, early 1900s, which looked at old newspaper accounts per state, where it would be anything from bizarre deaths to peculiar people to haunted homes and these all occurred around 1800s, early 1900s. And uh, years ago, I had done several months of this research for Iowa, all the old Iowa newspapers. But like a lot of things, it got pushed on the back shelf for something else. So I thought I would just start flipping through these old files and maybe something would pop up. And that's when I was flipping through and I saw this article about Des Moines' new monster. The paper had it wrong. It was Van Meter, but close enough. And I thought right away, reading about this mysterious beast, that it was going to be an easy case to solve. I would just make a few calls and find out that this was a hoax or something else. But I soon found out after calling the local librarian, Jolena Welker, that this case was still going. It wasn't forgotten. It was just nearly hidden. So that's really what began digging. We'll dig into more of this. The Van Meter Visitor. Who and what was it? Kind of strange, isn't it? Chad Lewis joining us, one of the co-authors of the book, with Gene and with Chris. You're in the Paracast. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com slash radio, DreamHost.com slash radio. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. 
American gardeners and fellow patriots make the right choice with your money, time, and your family food supply. Choose 100% pure heirloom seeds in the Survival Seed Vault from MyPatriotSupply.com. Why spend more? The Survival Seed Vault from MyPatriotSupply.com is only $37.95 and includes 20 varieties of pure, hardy, easy-to-grow heirloom seeds. Yes, only $37.95. That's 70% less than our competitors. You could buy three Survival Seed Vaults for less than one of theirs. The Survival Seed Vault from MyPatriotSupply.com includes detailed planting and seed-saving instructions and ships same day. Plus, all orders over $49 ship free. MyPatriotSupply.com is American-owned by patriots like you, passionate about freedom and preparedness. Call now, 866-229-0927. That's 866-229-0927. Or discover more emergency preparedness items when you order at MyPatriotSupply.com. Choose the original. Choose the Survival Seed Vault at MyPatriotSupply.com. For over five years, you've been hearing about the Berkey guy, so you may know a few things about him. For example, you are well aware of the superior quality and effectiveness of Berkey water filters and accessories. But did you know the Berkeys have had independent lab tests done to prove just how effective they are? It's true, and he can email you the test results. Just visit GoBerkey.com. You may also know that the Berkey guy has helped tens of thousands of people get better prepared. Now here's something you may not know. GoBerkey.com has amazing specials and deals all the time on a wide variety of survival and preparedness products. Most ready to ship same day. Visit the Berkey Guy at GoBerkey.com and be sure to click the red Products on Sale Now button. You can always call toll-free 877-886-3653. Again, that's 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com, home of the Berkey Guy. Hi there. My name is Frank Bates. What I'm about to tell you in the next 60 seconds could get me in a lot of trouble. I just created a free video presentation at 123coverup.com that exposes the electricity monopolies and government agencies for what they really are, incompetent, lying crooks that are counting on your ignorance and fear to keep your power bills criminally high. Some have called this a conspiracy. Others have called it a cover-up, and you will be shocked to find out how deep the conspiracy goes. My video at 123coverup.com exposes the truth, and shows you the secret of how I beat them and how you can beat them too. Watch the controversial video that thousands of other smart patriots have already seen in the last three months. Go to 123coverup.com and discover one weird trick to slash your power bill and protect your home. Go watch my video now at 123coverup.com before they force me to shut it down. Again, that's 123coverup.com. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast. I was thinking, neighbors, that maybe Chris O'Brien would bring out one of his flying monster kind of voices, but then what kind of voice do you bring out for a flying monster? Chad Lewis joins us, one of the co-authors of The Van Meter Visitor. So you're on a trip to find paranormal events, and you got, I guess, more than you bargained for, huh? Yes, and this was very difficult because when we went to town, we had the original newspaper accounts, but that was it. There was no historical society either today or in 1903 in Van Meter. Of course, all of the witnesses have long passed on. Many of their family members have moved out of the area or they're no longer around themselves. So we really had to start from scratch. And I think that's what made it interesting for me is that 
this was practically an unheard of case that we had to really dig up from scratch. Let's look at the mechanism of doing this research. Newspaper clippings at the time, much pay dirt there? Yes. Luckily, the newspaper of the time listed every single witness in the the newspaper. So we were able to go back and dig these people up through other newspaper accounts and find their photos and the town history a little bit that existed. And what I was amazed at right away was the fact that all of these witnesses were the most prominent people in town. It was a doctor. It was the postmaster. It was a gentleman who became the mayor. It was a principal. So these were not, you know, the town drunks or those that might be open to embellishing a bit. These were men that put their reputation on the line for this story. And back in 1903, your reputation was all you had because if you were selling in your business and somebody found out you were seeing eight-foot giant bat creatures, they might not put a lot of faith into you running the local bank. I wouldn't think so. I certainly wouldn't think you want to put those people on the police force either. Okay, so we look at the newspapers of the time. Now, how far and wide did these stories spread? Because obviously we didn't have the worldwide communication we had today. So was it confined just to the locality and the regional area or a wider range? Well, what I found interesting is the original accounts were only reported in the Des Moines papers. Outside of that, even the county paper just 10 miles north of Van Meter did not cover the story. It was the the Des Moines paper that did it. Then it got picked up on what would be, you know, the Associated Press today. And it was all over from New York all the way over. I even had a report of it in my local hometown paper of Eau Claire, Wisconsin. But what I found interesting is that although the reports basically rewrote the original article, many times they got the names mixed up. They got the some of the witnesses interchanged. So it wasn't quite as accurate as we believe the original article was. That's an interesting thing, too, because it makes it more difficult to get to the source information. So in general, when it was picked up by other newspapers and they embellished upon the original stories, how so? What did they change? Well, I think they made a lot of the the sightings goofy. What they did with that is turn this terrifying bat-like creature that, by all means, the town of Van Meter was in in an uproar about into more of some of the drawings and the illustrations, give it more of a cartoonish, fun bat look to it. They also implied that the townsfolk had lost their minds or maybe they were taking too much moonshine in. So the typical jokes that you kind of get when dealing with these creature sightings, even today. Yeah, little green alien jokes and the whistling the Twilight Zone theme. Yeah, that was going on back then, uh, you know, 1903. That's what I found uh, a little bit discouraging is that nobody took this report seriously. And as far as we've been able to tell, there were no follow-up investigations into the events that took place during this week. It's as though they... They recorded it in the article, and then, well, good luck with that. That isn't very helpful. But that's always a situation. So, of course, in looking up something like this, getting the newspaper clippings you can get. Now, do you contact the descendants of the original witnesses to see if there are diaries or other paper trails about this? Yes, we try to find everybody that's associated with either a witness or even townsfolk. And we were able to find some old-timers who obviously were not around during the sighting, 
but they were around early enough to know some of the witnesses that they would remember when they were kids that these men were prominent men still in the community. So when we talk to some of these old timers in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, they could recall some of these witnesses and vouch for how credible they were. So that was a plus on our side, at least. What about things like diaries? As far as today, no diary has surfaced, no written report, no journal, no photographs, nothing. But we're hoping now that the book's out and we'll get a a wider audience that somebody maybe living in California that's a, a relative that we didn't find may come forward for the next edition of the book. Yeah, we're hoping somebody had to have written down the the occurrence in a, a family lore or taken a photograph of the town when it was in an uproar. So we're hoping some of these things pop up and and they may they may not. I've been working on some cases for 20 years where things still pop up every few years and it's not closed yet. You know, I'm going to ask you in passing, of course, in recent shows we've talked a little bit about the supposed UFO crash in Aztec, New Mexico, but in that particular case, except for one or two witnesses found over the years after the book from Frank Scully came out, there are no local people who remember anything, no paper trail or anything like that. So that makes it almost impossible. And you're dealing here with a case that goes back 110 years. And there's still the newspaper clippings. There's still relatives who remember the experiences of their forebears. Yes, that made it very difficult that we didn't have anyone to talk to that could be an eyewitness. We didn't have any family members. We didn't have the smoking gun, if you will. Luckily, we did have the history of the town, and that hadn't changed much, including the location of the old abandoned coal mine that was thought to be the lair of this creature or these creatures as it would turn out to be. Creatures. Okay, so there were reports of more than one? On the very last night, as the town is taking matters into their own hands and they're gathering a posse together to exterminate this beast, they gather around the old coal mine and they see this beast that they've been seeing all week. But now, standing next to it is a smaller, identical-looking creature, which may have been the female gender of the species or maybe an offspring, one that wasn't reported but at least two that were seen that evening. The local brick and tile factory workers who saw this and heard it reported that it sounded like Satan and his imps were rising up from hell for battle, leading me to believe there may have been many, many more of these in that old abandoned mine. Okay, so you're saying here that at some point in time, the sightings just upped and stopped. After how long? It was five nights of sightings, one week, and that's when the posse gathered out at the old coal mine. And when they saw these creatures were coming and going, and it was reported that it looked like they had been doing so for quite some time, the townsfolk got together and tried to come up with the best plan to get rid of these creatures, to exterminate them, to hole up the dam of the old mine. But much like you know, a true Hollywood scriptwriter would write, That's where it ended. The newspaper just said the town was gathering, looking for the best way to combat these beasts. And then it's it. That's it. No more communication on it. So suddenly after five nights where the town is getting pretty upset over what's going on, where more than one creature is seen, it stops never, ever, ever to be repeated again? Not that we know of. 
nothing was ever reported again. It may have been that it continued on for another week or a month or so, but they never did another newspaper article on it. And I think the townsfolk were pretty frightened at this point because they gathered and while they saw this creature emerge from the the depths of the coal mine, the newspaper said that the posse let off a fire of bullets that could have sunk the Spanish fleet. That's how many that they let off. But again, no problems whatsoever for the creatures. They were immune, invulnerable or something like that. Chad Lewis talking about these mysterious creatures, the Van Meter visitor or visitors. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and Freudian phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free sent right to your mailbox, plus a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MrUFO at WebTV.net. Find out what they don't want you to know. Hi, this is Steve Sanchez, and based on a recent study, it was found that 57 million Americans had legal issues over the last 12 months, but only 60% of those studied sought out the services of a lawyer. Why? In a nutshell, affordability. Well, my friends at Legal Shield have created a solution that can help you not if, but when you need an attorney. For as little as $17 per month, Legal Shield will provide you unlimited access to qualified attorneys at an accomplished law firm for advice and counsel on legal issues no matter how serious or trivial. For over 40 years and with 1.4 million families across North America, Legal Shield can help you, the loyal GCN listener. Representatives are standing by now to answer your questions, so call them now at 1-855-340-SAVE. That's 1-855-340-7283 or visit them at lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com. What's safer and cheaper than prescription drugs? Glad you asked. The answer is Renovation Teas. Herbal remedies are much safer and much cheaper than prescription drugs. Taste great, and most importantly, herbal teas are effective and non-addictive. Renovation Tea is especially unique, and here's why. We spent years researching herbs and their beneficial properties. Renovation Teas uses only 100% organic, fair trade herbs. Our teas are blended towards specific ailments and health conditions, such as diabetes, blood pressure, anxiety, libido, detox, and much more. All Renovation Teas are formulated and hand-filled in Arkansas. Take care of yourself naturally, the way Mother Nature intended. Order Renovation Teas at RenovationTea.com or call 870-784-3121. That's 870 870- 
784-3121. Renovation Tees. Renovate your health one bag at a time. A little over a year ago, I began to do a lot of research into why, even though I had a pretty good-sized meal, that I was still starving. And my research led me to a well-known fact that most of the soils that we grow our crops on here in the United States and across the industrialized world are almost completely depleted of almost all of the key minerals and trace elements that our bodies need to rebuild themselves, fight off cancer, and be healthy. I then searched out the best vitamin and mineral company out there and discovered Longevity. The Longevity products are designed to give you the real nutrition you need, and once you've got that, you don't have to eat as much to be satisfied. I've lost 37 pounds in two months, simply getting the vitamins and minerals I need. Check it out for yourself. It's incredible. Go to InfoWarsTeam.com today and order your first canister of Beyond Tangy Tangerine Complete Multivitamin Mineral Complex Dietary Supplement. That's InfoWarsTeam.com. This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. Chris, as you know, will avoid trying to sound like a winged creature of the night. Okay, the book is called The Van Meter Visitor. And we're talking to one of the authors, Chad Lewis. Now, I'm kind of put myself in your boots here for a moment. Maybe our listeners will be interested in this. So you hear about this case. You go into this town. You're trying to find out something about it. Did they look on you folks like some kind of weirdos? What are you asking about a monster for? Usually that's the case. When you make that cold call saying, hey, I'm looking for a story from 1903 of this giant winged creature that terrorized your town. Luckily for us, the local librarian, again, Jolena Welker, said, yeah, I know of that story. What do you want to know? And that's what was amazing about this is that about half the people that we talked with in the town, which were hundreds upon hundreds, they knew of it, but not too much. The details were sketchy. And the other half simply had no idea what we were talking about. And they asked us several times, are you sure you have the right place? But when we went into the library and talked with Jolena, she said, yeah, I still know the the old coal mine, the owners of that land now. I can put you in touch with them. And that's exactly what she did. She was able to put us in touch with the owners of the mine, which still have the land, and it's still there. So we were excited thinking, well, if the creature's not here, at least the mine is still here. Were you able to mount an expedition and, uh, and go in there, or is it all closed off, or...? It's on the the farmer's land. The family's owned it since the early 1900s when it basically was put down. Uh, They closed up the mine around the turn 1900. They operated a brick and tile factory right next door to that for a couple decades more. Many of those buildings are still there, barely. They're falling down. They're in disrepair. But the mine itself has been boarded up many, many uh, generations here, decades has been boarded up and mother nature has done the rest. It covered it over with sand and grass where now if you didn't have a guide showing you right where the mine was, you'd have no idea. You would just think it was a, a hilly area. And this mine was pretty big. It went nearly 700 feet deep. It had miles upon miles of tunnels where they would use mules down there 
on teams to haul out the coal. It was one of the biggest coal mines in Iowa, and which is another surprise for people thinking Iowa has coal mines. But it was pretty huge, but there's no no way back into those mines as of today. Sounds like great uh, material for a screenplay. Uh, this this has Hollywood written all over it. Now, uh, for for the people who you know haven't had the benefit of reading the book, or in your case, researching and writing it, let's give the best general description that we have of the creature, just so people can get a real good uh, sort of mind's eye view of it. Sure, the best description we have came from a gentleman who was awoken by a gunshot which another man shot at the creature, and instead of uh, killing it, it just beamed its light on him and released that strange odor, and it wiped out his memory. But the other gentleman across the street, Sidney Gregg, who was a respected businessman, he got the best look at the, the beast. He saw it descending the telephone pole using its beak like a parrot. He said when it got to the ground, it stood over eight feet tall and had these giant, leather-like, featherless wings that it extended. Now, at that same moment, it had that blunt horn on its head that was shining a light. It seemed to self-produce this light. As it crouched down, he thought it was going to run through the town, and then the local train came through, and it seemed to spook the creature. So he said it moved and hopped like a kangaroo, as it ran through town and then simply kind of sailed off with its wings extended out toward the direction of the old coal mine. So much like very similar to some of the Mothman sightings where people saw it flying, but not actually flapping its wings, almost as though it had the power to fly just with its wings extended. Very fast question here. Is there a history in this community of other strange events over the years, or is this a singular set of events it stands into itself well like much of iowa during that time there were tons of haunted stories uh just about an hour and a half north they had a sea serpent actually in the raccoon river which runs through van meter there was talk of there being a sea serpent there of course there were ufo reports around the same time period so it does seem to be a paranormal hot spot okay so i was saying we wouldn't be talking about ufos but i guess we are All right, so this appears to be a place where lots of events happen. What about monsters, creatures like that? No, not that we know of. And most people are familiar in that area with the traditional creatures. Many people are hunters, they're fishermen and fisherwomen. They, They know what's in the area. You know, they hunt bear, they hunt deer quite a bit, of course, even some turkey hunters there. So people are out in the woods. It's very rural. So I think that when people are out there, they would recognize that this wasn't what some people claim is it was a pelican or just a winged bat or other known animals that were misidentified. So I think uh, that's one thing, too, is the townsfolk are pretty good about identifying animals. So if something were coming out that was uh, in, you know, in the field of cryptozoology, they would certainly report it. Now, looking over the literature, and I know, of course, that Lauren Coleman, who has studied cryptozoology for many years, made a very favorable comment about your work. And that is, if you look around the world, do you find anything like this particular creature close, other than possibly Mothman? Yes. Actually, when we started digging up these flying cryptids, if you will, these bat-like creatures, 
we had a report around almost the same time out in Utah where people were seeing this giant bat creature, but it seemed to be even bigger than the Van Meter one. As some said, it was carrying off horses. That's how big it was. And there are a few newspaper accounts with an illustration of this giant bat creature you know, carrying off this horse in its talons. So this creature was reported. Of course, we also bring up you know, the Snallygaster that was out on the East Coast. Some people have claimed it looks more or sounds like the Jersey Devil out in the Pine Barrens. So there's a lot of similarities. But yet again, uh, hearkening back to the beginning, that there's a lot of differences as well. Now, the skeptics will say that the newspapers of the time were apt to make up stories to gain circulation. So they'd sit there, they concoct reports of alleged creatures or whatever, just to get people to buy the paper. Yes, and that happened quite a bit. I've done several books on old newspaper accounts from the late 1800s, early 1900s. And half the fun of some of these reports is to determine whether or not you believe them. When you hear of a a case out of Wisconsin of a half-human, half-monkey boy being born, you start to think, was it a slow day or did this really happen? Because back then, no one could verify your work. Nobody was going to Google to make sure that you were telling the truth. So those reports did happen, but usually they would make up a name of somebody in town that didn't exist. It would never involve some of the most reputable people and include direct quotes from them. So that's what I think this stood out about the Van Meter case is that it did have all these people that we could tie back to the town. Another uh, interesting uh, possible correlation or similarity is to the uh, Ropan in New Guinea, which is a almost a pterodactyl appearing flying creature, but it also has uh, some sort of self-illumination. It glows. And uh, that, that to me, is an interesting correlation. The, the Ropan are also, um, I guess, in the tradition there, thought to be grave robbers. They dig up uh, freshly interred bodies uh, as food. Uh, tell us a little bit more about, you know, I'm really intrigued by this, this glowing horn and the light beam and the noxious gas. Um, how much do we know about that? How many actual victims uh, were overcome by this particular part of the, uh, of the equation? As far as we know, there were two instances where the creature released this gas. And I'm not sure if it did it on purpose or if it was a defense mechanism because both times it released it, it was being shot at. The first time it released it was on Thursday night, Friday morning, again, 1 a.m. That's when the local hardware store owner, O.V. White, took deliberate aim at the creature that was sleeping on the telephone pole. He shot at it, thought he hit it, thought he killed it, but instead it just flashed its light on O.V. White and then released that odor. And O.V. White said as soon as that odor hit him, he remembered nothing more of the evening. Now, that's an interesting question, too. This memory gas, I'm going to ask you when we get back after our break, whether after this memory is wiped from these people, whether it ever returns. That's an interesting case. We have Chad Lewis joining Gene and Chris. The monsters are upon us because you're in the Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. 
Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner, and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Summertime is sale time at Herbal Healer Academy. Current customers know this is the time to save big and stock up at HerbalHealer.com. New customers, welcome to the web's best place to save on vitamins, minerals, and more. Right now, Herbal Healer's summer specials include our 500 parts per million colloidal silver, all sizes on sale, CoQ10 with Hawthorne, Colon Enhancer, Sea Cucumber, Super Fam and Super Male Plex, plus Glucosamine Chondroitin, our best-selling liquid CalMag Vitamin D, and our colloidal minerals, all on sale for summer at HerbalHealer.com and Herbal Healer also offers certificate correspondence courses in natural medicine. Enjoy same-day shipping and free online newsletter. Log on to our nation's leader in supplying quality natural medicine and education. Since 1988, Herbal Healer Academy at HerbalHealer.com. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Cryptozoology, strange creatures of the night. What was the Van Meter Visitor with Chad Lewis? Okay, some people receive a dose of this gas or whatever, this memory gas, do they ultimately retain or regain their memories, or is it one of those situations where something may have happened, but they never remember what? Well, with Ovi White, the first man hit by this gas, we don't know. He could have remembered a few days later and wrote about it or talked about it, or he could have died without knowing what events took place after it hit him. Again, another comparison to abductees and UFO research is that oftentimes these abductees who have missing time, as they call it, just patches of their memory they can't recall. Oftentimes over the years, even months after, little pieces start to come back, whether they're watching a show that reminds them of it, or they're reading a book, or even a dream that will start to piece the memory back, and they'll have these half-remembrances and start to piece it together. But as far as we know with this mysterious odor, that did not occur. So they don't know what could have happened after this struck. Now, about this odorous gas, this amnesia substance or whatever, are there other cases of other monsters where they also have this capability? Yes, of course there are cases where these monsters release some type of a chemical or gas. Now, many people will draw back to the Mad Gasser of Mattoon case where this 
mysterious gas was released and people were getting nauseous and sick. But of course, with the Van Meter, we don't have any accounts of people getting sick, which one of the theories that we looked at was, was this anything more than mass hysteria? Did somebody see something, a ball of light, and then it just kind of flourish through town over the next week where it turned into this giant bat creatures. And one of the the hallmarks or the trademarks of mass hysteria is that people often have a sudden onset of physical ailments that accompany mass hysteria. And outside of the memory wiping, there were no physical ailments. People weren't getting sick. People weren't vomiting. So it really doesn't fall into the mass hysteria in the traditional sense. Striking that you draw a resemblance or a comparison to UFO abductions, at least in the owl-like creatures that are sometimes seen there. So is it possible, let's just raise that silly question, is it possible at all that this Van Meter creature was not what it appears to be, but something to hide the memory of the real creature or entity or whatever? Yeah, that's one of the theories out there, and that's getting really bizarre. And one of the areas that I truly enjoy is that Maybe it was projecting this ability that other creatures seem to have that, you know, shapeshifters or skinwalkers or other accounts of these beasts that they may not actually be what they they tend to be. Now, throwing it even further into disarray is the fact that many townsfolk today in Van Meter believe that the creature wasn't some type of bat, but it was the devil itself that was coming up from the mines or from hell that. They thought it was a, a demon or a devil based on the account. So we're, we're spanning the entire spectrum of what various things this thing could be. Okay, that raises more of a religious kind of specter, doesn't it? It certainly does. And we can assume that the people of 1903 held religion very close at that time. There were several churches that were in operation that are still in operation in Van Meter. So we know these people probably would have looked at it as a, a hideous sign of something that was not good for the community. And I bet many of them did think it was a demon or the devil. Any indication of how, how this was taken in a spiritual sense? Were there any blessings or was there any mention of clerics or, or priests or ministers becoming involved to, to either work on getting rid of the creatures or administering to the, you know, to the people who obviously would be a little... A little freaked out, I would imagine. Uh, do we have any indication that uh, the what, what what would it be? The liturgy was involved. Not that we know of. Again, it probably happened, and that's an excellent point. But what I found uh, truly fascinating is that the newspaper doesn't talk about any spiritual leaders or religious leaders. What it talks about is the townsfolk went to the men of science. They went to the local principal, who was thought to be one of the most highly educated people in Iowa. And he called it an antediluvian, this creature of, you know, early times, this ancient beast that walked the earth. (laughs) So instead of turning to the church, they simply turned to science, which was a bit unheard of back then. Kind of sounds like a Lovecraft short story or something. Yeah. One of the things is that many people said this had to have been a hoax. It's just too bizarre that but it was touching on things that would come into UFO research and folklore 60 years later. So if this was created by the author of the original news article, he was way ahead of his time and should have been writing movies or radio or something because 
he was a, a fascinating teller of uh, scary tales where I've had many people say, this really should be a, a movie because it's just that bizarre. Well, they made the Mothman prophecies into a movie, although it was of mixed quality and mixed success. But since the question's raised here, now in the case of the Mothman in West Virginia, its appearance seemed to almost predict or herald the crash of the Silver Bridge. Was there a bridge or any other natural disaster involved in this part of Iowa? Because of the similarities with the, the Mothman reportings, we, that is one of the things we started looking, looking for is tragedies, mishaps, misfortunes, either prior or directly or directly after the sightings of the visitor. And we were unable to find them. The town did burn down, but that was nearly a decade after the last reported sighting of these creatures. And we don't know if these creatures remained in the mine for days or decades, or if they found another escape and they went to West Virginia or somewhere else. We don't know, but that was one of the, the correlations we wanted to look at, is that this, this evidence of tragedy that we just were unable to find as of yet. Now, even assuming that somebody made up some of this story, that the details of something were embellished, how does one get to the core event? Because that makes it all the more complicated. And it was complicated because the day after this appeared in one of the Des Moines newspaper, it was reported the next day in a rival paper where they said these reports were happening, but they were greatly exaggerated. They didn't go into detail. They said, yes, People have seen mysterious lights. Yes, the banker did shoot out the front window of his bank, shooting at some winged figure, but yet they're still embellished. So we have that, too, that threw a little cold water on this case, that was it somebody in town who was upset with all the attention that the town was getting, or was it really something that was embellished? And again, this is just one of the numerous unanswered questions we have about this case. But they haven't made a tourist attraction. It's not like Roswell, New Mexico, or Aztec, New Mexico. They're not saying, Van Meter, home of the visitor. That's exactly true. They've never done that. Uh, in fact, unfortunately, when you go there, there won't be anything to remind you of the creature. Now, that's changing now that the books come out. But before, when we went there, there were no cutouts of the, the monster, the visitor, where you could put your head in there. There was no Mothman statue like there is in Point Pleasant. There were no billboards and murals of the creature. It was really, if it wasn't forgotten, it was simply brushed off. So that was another indication that the people of Van Meter in 1903 wanted nothing to do with this story getting out. They weren't looking at it to draw tourists in, much like in my home state of Wisconsin when they came up with the Hodag, this mystical beast that terrorized the Northwoods Forest, that was put together to draw tourists in, where that wasn't the case in Van Meter. Ouch. Well, at least it's promising anyway that they're trying to do something. Yeah, I bet you the visitor center uh, could really be looking impressive uh, if they did a number on the Van Meter visitor. They could dress up the, uh, the helpers in there in, like, bat costumes or something. I'll tell you what, you're giving them some ideas, Chris. We have Chad Lewis joining us with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast.
Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Making the right decisions is a challenge to investors. Are we going to see economic growth, slide into a recession, or at worst, depression? Hi, Ted Anderson from Midas Resources. We all know when a company acts irresponsibly, divesting ourselves in a move towards safety is prudent. When the market becomes volatile, U.S. Treasuries are a safe haven. But what do you do when the U.S. government overextends itself and spends beyond its means? Many investors are turning toward gold as a common-sense alternative to traditional paper investments. Midas Resources has put together a powerful book titled 10 Reasons to Own Gold, discussing costs, benefits, risks, featuring full-color illustrations, weights, and measures. The book is free and can be yours by calling 800-686-2237. Paper investments are dwarfed by gold's 6,000-year history. Discover how gold may be right for you and your IRA by calling 800-686-2237. Whether buying or it's time for you to sell, the book is free. Call 800-686-2237. It's hurricane and wildfire season again. Why do thousands of people sit in these reoccurring problem areas year after year, betting their lives that the disaster won't get them? Hundreds of you helped eFoods Direct ship 50,000 donated meals to the Oklahoma victims. The problem is we can't help everybody. If every one of us who can will take care of ourselves, we can all pitch in to take care of those who really can't. The new just-in-case pack from eFoods Direct is the big brother to the seven-day emergency pack designed for Oklahoma disaster donations. It contains a two-month supply for one person, or a one-month supply for two adults, or a two-week supply for a family of four. The $320 price is $50 less than retail. Call 800-409-5633 on the web eFoodsDirect.com slash Alex. Order two or more, get 10% off, free shipping applies. Call 800-409-5633 on the web, efoodsdirect.com slash Alex. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. That bears repeating. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. And Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse is the key to digestive health. Pro-EM-1 is a powerful liquid probiotic, strong enough to cleanse, gentle enough to use every day. Pro-EM-1 is dairy, wheat, and soy-free, contains all natural and certified organic ingredients, contains no preservatives or animal products, supports a healthy digestive and immune system, supports weight loss, improves absorption of food nutrients, aids in controlling yeast infections, is never freeze-dried, and uses three groups of live, viable, beneficial microbes to cleanse and remove toxins. Order Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terraganics.com, spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com, Terraganics.com. Or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Pro-EM1, the raw probiotic. 
We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. That sounds like a voice you'd use for the Parrot Cast, Chris. I don't want to say any more about it. Good one, Gene. Okay. Well, that was good. You like that, huh? You can write that down. The Van Meter Visitors, this very fascinating book. Chad Lewis, one of the co-authors. Now, in going out there, doing your research, Chad, did you feel you encountered evidence of a genuine event, or is that jury still out? As I said before, when I first got this case, I thought this is going to be a lot of fun, but it's going to be short. We're going to solve this within a couple of days. It'll be no problem. It was either a practical joke or a hoaxer or something that was going on that wasn't this creature. But as we dug deeper and deeper into this case, we were left with more questions than answers. And we started ruling out some of these possibilities of people saying that it was a a robber, that it really was somebody trying to rob the bank and the, the hardware store and such. But on several different nights, people shot at this thing. Whether you're the most diehard robber in the world, I would assume that after several nights in a row of getting shot at by shotguns with buckshot and immense proportioned guns, that you would probably go to another town to start robbing. So That and many other things led me to believe that it wasn't a practical joke or a robber that was uh, causing this. It had to be something else. Now, what that something else is, that's the million-dollar question. Yeah, some questionable mushroom soup possibly in the diner. Yeah, that's one of the things we looked at, again, that maybe this was all just people going out of their way to create this, this mass hysteria in a sense, and that's something you can never rule out until – you know, we have somebody's diary of it or their journal that pinpoints it directly. Or uh, I would assume somebody took a picture of the bank's front window that was shot out by the terrified bank teller as he tried to protect the town's money from this creature. So until those things find their way to us, we might just never know. Yeah. Who knows? It could have been an outbreak of rye ergot poisoning and maybe somebody had bad rye bread in the morning and then boom. They got hit with uh, all kinds of psychedelic uh, images. I, I mean, anything's possible. I mean, that happened in the 50s in France, uh, where a whole town was poisoned by naturally occurring LSD on rye mold. So, you know, I'm not saying that's what happened here, but you can't, you can't rule anything out or anything in until you've done as much research and digging as possible. Speaking of digging, have there ever been any sort of indications that the mine was ever explored by uh, people of the time or or later on. Um, I have uh, someone here on the Paracast forum at forum.theparacast.com who's volunteering to do some spelunking to go look for these things. Maybe they're still down there and they have another way out. That's exactly what we thought. Now, the owner of the land, his family has owned it for a long time. He's an older gentleman and he's one of those stereotypical farmer ranchers, this no-nonsense type of guy that you wouldn't think would get spooked by anything. So when he took us on a a private tour of the land, you know, I don't think he even believes the story, but he did tell us that when he was a, a kid, him and his relatives were afraid of playing around the old mine where it once was, and he had no idea why he was frightened by this. Just 
he picked up a sense that something wasn't right about this and they didn't want to play there. And again, this threw me back because I had no idea that again, he would be spooked by anything. He was that farmer that looked like he had seen everything in life. And I asked him what he thought about opening it up and going down there. And he was interested not only to see if the creatures were still there, but what other remnants were still down there. Did they still have some of these these carts and buggies that were down there, all the old mining equipment. I think if he ever got the insurance to open it up, he'd be he'd be game for that. <laughs> Just be careful if you enter a room and there's all these pods on the ground that are starting to open up. You might get a face sucker like an alien. Yeah, that's time to retreat then as well. Did what do what the rest of the van meter people did and just retreat into the safety of the building. How long did this mine survive? It went another decade about nobody quite is sure. Again, back then, this small town, unlike any other place I've investigated, simply did not have a lot of records. It's almost as though they were trying to get rid of the town history. Maybe that's part of the whole conspiracy theory that they wanted to get rid of this case or never talk about it, so they didn't write it down. But we do have one piece of evidence that would make us think that it wasn't all imaginary, that the night at 1 a.m. when the bank manager shot out the front window, the next morning he was expecting to go out to find the body of this burglar or the creature or at least some blood or some feathers, something that would indicate that he had shot something of flesh and blood. But he found nothing. But as he searched around his building, he found a series of these giant three-toed claws in the, the dirt. And he actually made a plaster cast, at least one that we know of, of these three-toed footprints or claw prints. But what happened to that plaster cast, we don't know. I always like to say it might be in one of your listeners' attics right now. I can't wait. Well, if we have any listeners in Van Meter, Iowa, tell us what's going on. Maybe you have a grandma and grandfather that lived there uh, 110 years ago. Check the attic. And, uh, wait, wouldn't it be neat to, to uncover that? Of course, it'd be difficult to authenticate it. But, um, uh, well, give us, give us a little bit more of a sense. I mean, you, you mentioned the article said the townspeople gathered almost like chasing uh, the monster Frankenstein with torches and pitchforks and stuff. But, but do we have a sense of how many people actually were, were rallied out there uh, to go and, and confront this creature? Uh, do we have a sense of the mood of, of the crowd? I mean, obviously, if you're really in fear of something, you're not going to go out and try to track it down, even with a, a, another group of people. Uh, do, do you have a sense? Have you gotten any additional information besides the, uh, the original news, news account? Yes, we know that directly next door to the old mine, was a very highly operable and highly profitable brick and tile factory that employed dozens and dozens of men around the clock to make these bricks and tiles. And when they went out to the old mine, we assume that most of them had gathered. They had talked about a posse in the dozens. It may have reached close to 100, we don't know, but it was at least several dozen of these people. And I think the image you bring up about the townsfolk, you know, with the, the torches and pitchforks was very apt here that I think the townsfolk by this time, they were fed up with this creature. It had been terrorizing their town piece by piece throughout the week, where even though they were deadly afraid of it, 
they had no choice but to gather around. In 1903, you couldn't call for backup. Nobody was going to come and protect you. And I think that's what these men were doing, trying to protect their families. And they said, if this creature, instead of it just coming in night after night, let's go out and meet it head on and face the consequences. So maybe those scenes we saw in the old Frankenstein movies where the mob is out with the fire and the torches and the knives and the guns in search of the vicious creature, well, they were based on the things that really happened in small towns across the world. You never know. The book is The Van Meter Visitor, and our guest is Chad Lewis, one of the co-authors, who wrote actually most of the articles in the book. With Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com Got a simple question for you. Can you sell? Yes? Okay. Can you sell the intangible? If yes, and you'd like to work 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, with no overtime, no weekends, if you're passionate about not closing sales, but about opening relationships, if you truly have a desire to serve global clients who need your advertising expertise, and you're local to the Twin Cities and Burnsville, are hardworking, self-driven, with experience in sales, marketing, or advertising, are personable and a whiz on the phone, GCN wants to talk with you right now. GCN, the Genesis Communications Network, is one of the largest independent talk radio networks in the world and we're hiring right now we offer benefits and an excellent commission structure experience preferred but we'll train the right person is that you submit your resume today to advertise at gcnlive.com again that's advertise at gcnlive.com come work with the genesis communications network an equal opportunity employer Hey, all you Dead Doctors Don't Lie fans, this is Justin Baker. If you missed the Doc Wallach Seminar in January right here in Santa Cruz, then now is your chance to see him again. Dr. Wallach is going to be doing a Central California Health Tour the first week in September 2013. You'll have four opportunities to attend his world-renowned health lecture, which is helping people from around the globe reverse disease. Doc will be at the Pacific Cultural Center at 1307 Seabright Avenue in Santa Cruz on Tuesday, September 3rd. The doors open at 6.30 p.m. On Wednesday, September 4th at 6.30 p.m., we will be in Modesto at Soul Harvest Worship Center, 4718 Greenleaf Court, followed by two lectures on Thursday, September 5th at 10.30 a.m. at Mosswood Park Great Hall at 3612 Webster Street in Oakland. And the last event of the health tour will be in Sacramento the evening of September 5th at 6.30 p.m. at the Church of Scientology at 1007 6th 
street. Don't miss these life-changing events. Seating is limited, so contact me today at 831-331-9523. That's 831-331-9523 to reserve your free VIP seats. Ceramic Body Armor is rated to stop six hits. But what about the seventh? Unlike ceramic or Kevlar, Infidel Body Armor is proven to take hit after hit, and it just won't quit. Reasonably priced and designed for the smart civilian prepper, Infidel stops hundreds of hits from small arms to high-powered rifles. That means safety and peace of mind. Buy yours at InfidelBodyArmor.com. Spelled I-N-F-I-D-E-L BodyArmor.com. Infidel Body Armor just won't quit. Can you pluck a chicken in about 90 seconds? You can with Power Plucker. Plucking by hand is a chore, but the Power Plucker makes it fast and easy. Simply chuck Power Plucker into your power drill and watch those feathers fly off. Save time and money with our complete home processing kits, too. For free USA shipping and 10% discount, go to PowerPlucker.com and enter promo code RADIO. PowerPlucker.com, the only drill-powered poultry plucker. author of UFO Mysteries, and you're listening to the Paracast. Now, we have Chad Lewis, co-author of The Van Meter Visitor, joining Gene and Chris. A little segue from our discussion, and we'll get back to the monsters. You've been studying paranormal events for a number of years. Tell us more about your background in research and why you got involved in the first place. Personal encounters? (laughs) I I wish. Yes, I've been researching the strange and unusual for a little over 20 years now. And I blame it on my home state of Wisconsin because I grew up in a town not too far from one of the three UFO capitals of the world that we have in our state. We have three cities that all claim to be the UFO capital of the world. So when I was in high school, I started traveling to Elmwood, Wisconsin to hear what these people were seeing, why dozens upon dozens of people were seeing mysterious lights and crafts in the sky. So I started talking with them and interviewing these witnesses, and this was national news back then. So when I started studying psychology at the university, I was really interested in why certain people believe in the strange and unusual when others do not. And I started presenting as an undergraduate this research at research symposiums, and it was, at that time, very statistical-based stuff, very boring. You're glad you weren't there. But people in the audience would come up afterward and say, I know this isn't quite what you're doing, but I think my home's haunted, or I saw something in the woods I can't explain. Could you help me investigate? And back then, not a lot of people were doing it, so I said, sure, I'll help you out, and that kind of just spiraled from there. And when I started graduate school, I actually was able to do my master's thesis looking at students' beliefs in the paranormal. Oh, that's interesting. Tell me more about your day experience. You have a day job, we assume. You don't go around all over the country just looking at paranormal events. You're not like Chris or me. Yeah, actually, um, when I finished grad school, I had a real career, I call it, where I was doing grant writing for a nonprofit, and that's when we started doing these road guides, a co-author and myself, to haunted places. We started with our state of Wisconsin that basically roadmaps on how to get to these places, what to expect, sorting the fact from fiction. 
And it basically started branching out to other states where Minnesota, Iowa, South Dakota, where um, it got to be so much travel that I had to say, well, I have to do one or the other. So about six years ago, I decided that I was going to just travel the world looking for these creatures and then write about them and lecture on them. So that's what I've been doing uh, for the last six years exclusively. And I always say maybe I'll get back to a, a real career someday, but this is just too bizarre right now. So it did become your day job. Yes, not by you know choice, almost just out of sheer luck, uh, lucky fortune, if you will, that you know, when I was in grad school, I never thought that this would be something that you could pursue on a daily basis. I thought it would be something people contact you. Yes, it's fun to investigate these things, but like 99% of the field, you would have a career and this would be your second career. You do other stuff during the day. You'd be a psychologist. You'd be a teacher. You'd be a bricklayer, whatever. And then you'd chase flying saucers. Or some of us were reporters like myself. And another person, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, Kurt Southerly, who's done a lot of investigations in Pennsylvania. And right now he's actually a public information person for, I think, the Air Force, if he still has the job. But he worked for a daily newspaper. He was a freelance writer. And I was a broadcast journalist. And that's how I got involved in chasing strange creatures. So there you go. So they're not after you yet, Jared, are they? <laughs> no. What would you do if you saw something like this? Do you have equipment with you when you go on these trips to do research just in case something weird happens? Yes, that was one of the things that we debated to no end of, you know, did we have the same weapon hubris that they had that we thought if we brought our weapons and modern equipment and technology, we would be able to capture it kill it, documented, et cetera, like they did. They thought, oh, we have a shotgun with uh, blasting, you know, with the pellets. We have uh, high, high rifles and pistols that we'll be able to kill it. So we thought the same thing, but we brought traditional weapons and then on traditional weapons, more of the, the new age, if you will, that some of the people that came with us wanted to be smudged with a sage and other protectants. So I think we tried to cover the whole spectrum of both supernatural type weapons that some of the people that we brought with us put some belief in, and then also your traditional guns, knives, weapons of that nature. Do you subscribe to the theory that there are indeed window or portal areas or anomalies to use what they say on to certain TV shows where strange creatures or anything, even UFOs, can wink in and wink out from one reality to another? Yeah, that was one of the theories that we looked at, not only with the, the visitor, but other cases that there just seems to be so much happening and no residual evidence left behind that maybe these things, you know, as they're, they're known as ultra-terrestrials or interdimensional or tulpas, we don't know, but I certainly lean to that possibility. Whenever I'm asked, you know, what research or methods do you try to use and what do you stay away from? I always say when you're dealing with the weird, what's too weird? That people always say, oh, you shouldn't be using that method. Well, what if it works? We don't know. Again, I'm left with more questions than answers on a lot of these things. Yeah, so it's well, like having a weird ratio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I always, I always uh, have have loved the Hunter S. Thompson adage that it, when the going gets weird, the weird turn pro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A, a colleague of mine, Rick Hendricks, always says when the weird, when you go looking for the weird, the weird comes looking for you. Boy, do I know about that? Okay, so let's look further into your explorations here. Any other really fascinating cases in Van Meter? Obviously, there were other things being seen, but can you focus on anything that they had that was anything near as weird as this one? Again, not that we know of. This was definitely the weirdest thing they had ever encountered. And if there were UFO sightings at the same exact time of this creature outside of this ball of light, Maybe it was the the creature because it could produce the light. Maybe it was a craft of some sort or just a, you know, willow of the wisp type light. We don't know. But outside of that, we don't know of other strange things happening. We don't know if anyone else was reporting strange dreams or possession or anything else. Again, until some of this surfaces, all we have to go on were the original newspaper accounts. We can speculate, but that's all it is. How about five or six years before? What was the closest uh, great airship sighting to the Des Moines area? Uh, the late 1800s, the 1896-97 flap of these airships that you know really were reported all over the U.S. And then it continued on. We have some from 1905, 1906 from that area, not only Des Moines, but Iowa City and Fort Dodge area. So they were all over. Of course, we have to remember that the early 1900s was the time of the the spiritualist movement was really at full force then of, you know, the belief that people could communicate with the deceased through seances and other means where people would get together on weekends and have these seances and try to connect with their loved ones. And this was also a time when science was just starting to really gather steam. And what I mean by that is when people heard of an eight-foot giant bat creature in their backyards of Van Meter, they were also reading about the mountain gorilla being discovered. So they probably thought to themselves, well, I don't think it's that weird that there's a giant bat here. There's a giant gorilla in the jungles. You know, what's the difference? Uh, so I think they may have taken it with more uh, a harder look at it being credible than we do today. It sounded like they would accept it as something that, just sort of happens. Really weird. The book is called The Van Meter Visitor, A True and Mysterious Encounter with the Unknown. Certainly, if it happened to me, if I saw that, I'd be moving very, very fast in the other direction. Chad Lewis continues. We'll have more questions from our listeners coming up. With Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. 
So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. Wouldn't it be nice to have one product that replaces more than 10, saving you space, time, and money? HempUSA.org has a complete full-spectrum vitamin mineral detox formulation called MicroPlant Powder Gold. MicroPlant Powder Gold contains 101 vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and iodine, has a 100-year shelf life, and is a perfect addition to any storage shelter. Make MicroPlant Powder Gold your choice. Call 888-910-4367 or visit HempUSA.org today. HempUSA.org has a revolutionary wonder food for detoxing the body and rebuilding the immune system. Microplant powder can help unclog arteries and soften heart valves while removing heavy metals, virus, fungus, bacteria, and parasites. Plus, it cleans and purifies the blood, lungs, stomach, and colon. Keep your body clean with Microplant powder. Order today at 888-910-4367 or visit HempUSA.org. For over five years, you've been hearing about the Berkey guy, so you may know a few things about him. For example, you are well aware of the superior quality and effectiveness of Berkey water filters and accessories. But did you know the Berkeys have had independent lab tests done to prove just how effective they are? It's true, and he can email you the test results. Just visit GoBerkey.com. You may also know that the Berkey guy has helped tens of thousands of people get better prepared. Now here's something you may not know. GoBerkey.com has amazing specials and deals all the time on a wide variety of survival and preparedness products. Most ready to ship same day. Visit the Berkey guy at GoBerkey.com and be sure to click the red Products on Sale Now button. You can always call toll-free 877-886-3653. Again, that's 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com, home of the Berkey guy. Hello, it's Tom Chenault from The Tom Chenault Show. We are experts in home-based business and residual income. We show people how to make money from their home, either part-time or full-time. And in partnership with Genesis Communication Network, we've organized a team to fight back about people not having money, time, or health. And we need your help. What we want you to do is if you've got an interest in building an organization to fight back against people taking our money, taking our time, and taking our health, we want to talk to you. All you need to do is call this number, 855-308-8326. Again, all you want to do is call 855-308-8326. You can make a tremendous amount of money and end up fighting for a great cause. Please call us right now. Hi, my name is Richard Dolan. You're listening to the Paracast. This is a fast-moving evening with Chad Lewis joining us for the first time on the PowerCast to talk about the Van Meter Visitor. 
Chris, there were some questions. We didn't have a lot of time to post them from our listeners about his research. Can you dig up a few? Um, yeah, we've addressed uh, a few, but there's there's one. You, you mentioned the Mad Gasser of Mattoon. That's, that has always fascinated me. And I do have a question here um, from one of our, our participants at forum.theparacast.com. This one comes from one of our newest signees, uh, Le Bombette who has 24 posts here at the Paracast Forum. Any chance this creature might have been something akin to Springheel Jack or Parak, the spring man of Prague? Springheel Jack and Parak were human-like creatures that wore what was possibly a costume and seemed to have superhuman abilities. Also, uh, she notes, the strange smell that disoriented witnesses and the wave of sightings is a bit reminiscent of the Mad Gasser of Mattoon. Uh, you did mention that before, but um, let's readdress uh, some of the similarities between the two cases, even though obviously she she points out they were separated by many years. Yeah, and I find that interesting with the Mad Gasser and spring Jack that people said it may have been a human dressed up in costume or trying to portray itself as more terrifying and frightening, you know, so people weren't able to identify it. And that's certainly a possibility here. But as far as we know, those who saw it were convinced that it wasn't human, at least not completely. They described it as half human, half animal. And it, you know, the Spring Hill Jack, many of the illustrations of what it was thought to be had these wing like things to it, but they almost seem like cloth or something man made. Whereas this creature, by all accounts, seemed to be, you know, a flesh and blood creature, whether it was in a giant owl or a whooping crane or a pelican or something else. People believed that it was an animal, not not a person. But with the Mad Gas or Mattoon, of course, the the gas is a similarity, the odor. But that's about it. Um, even though people did claim in Mattoon that this creature was able to move at great speeds, that a human would have difficulty to replicate. And that was the same with the the visitor. When it moved, it moved like a very fast kangaroo. You know, very, very similar to what Chupacabra sightings have have detailed. Just in passing, I know, Chris, that our listener is a museum professional. Ah, oh yeah, look at that. I, I, I wasn't scrolled down far enough. We just That's added the capability, by the way, if you want to post your occupation, you don't have to, at forum.theparacast.com. You can do it. So she might have a singular knowledge. Yeah, of you, you mentioned, uh, Chad, you mentioned Chupacabra. There was a very interesting case where two law enforcement officers in Puerto Rico responded to a Chupacabra sighting. This was fairly early on in the wave, and one of the officers... Uh, felt that he was being hypnotized or mesmerized uh, by, I th- if I remember correctly, a red light and then a smell, very reminiscent of uh, the visitor. Yeah, a lot of people report that with the chupacabra. I actually chased the reports of the chupacabra down through Central America. And when I was in Puerto Rico, I talked to a rancher who had seen it several days before I got there. And he told me uh, one evening he heard his dog fighting with something in the backyard and in Puerto Rico, they don't have any large predators, so he wasn't afraid of the dog being harmed. But then the dog let out a yelp that he had never heard before. He went back and saw what he reported as El Chupacabra, and he said it, 
bounced as though much like a kangaroo, it flew into the woods and disappeared. And when he went out there, the dog was dead. And what struck me about that is when I was researching the visitor is that that same movement of that kangaroo, that this creature was, you know, not quite stable on its feet. It kind of hopped and leapt, if you will. Interesting. I note here that one of our listeners who posted in the forums, his or her name is Black Rock Lobster, says, I will be eager to volunteer in any underground investigation. Are those famous last words? <laughs> yeah, I think I think <laughs> you guys are onto something. Where if they open up this mine, it may be one of the best tourist attractions in the U.S. <laughs> Careful what you wish for. Have you talked to anybody there saying, "Hey, why don't you do this? This would be cool." Yes, they're starting. As I mentioned, they really have nothing about this case because most of the town exactly. Has- gotten about it but now it's starting to open up where they're going to have visitor days every year during the anniversary of the sighting they're going to look at tours out to the old mine but eventually maybe it will open up that would be wonderful and i think as your listeners uh have shown there'd be no shortage of volunteers yeah come visit the visitor and we hope of course that the people who do volunteer understand they will probably have to sign some kind of clause saying that the powers that be who allow this expedition to continue are indemnified from damages if they disappear. Yes, and I think if you die, they should give the, the refund to your family. I can dig that, you know. So what would you charge? I mean, really, what would you charge for an expedition like this? $55 a person or something? Yeah, I don't know. I think that would be great. I, I talked to the landowner of even putting a sign up or a plaque by the mine and just allowing people to come out there and donate if they want to check it out because it's really a ranch. There are a few wandering horses, but they're not farming it because the land's pretty much unusable because it's filled with these little pieces and trinkets of the brick and tiles from the the decades of the factory. So you can't grow anything there. So why not open it up? In terms of mines, are there a number of mines in that part of the state? Yes, people really are surprised to hear that Iowa was a large coal producer, but they were putting out tons just out of the Van Meter mine. Tons a day were being shipped out on the trains. And uh, what I found very interesting about this case is that this was in an abandoned coal mine. And when you start researching into folklore of whether it's the Mothman or some of these other places, that we find a lot of times these abandoned places are where these creatures like to hang out and inhabit. That whether it's the old bombing shelters, whether it's old factories that have been abandoned, these are areas where these monsters seem to really enjoy. Well, also naturally occurring cavern systems, too. We've seen some correlations and parallels between incidents of Bigfoot uh, reports and, and you know natural cavern systems. And what a perfect hiding spot, especially the mines of Van Meter, where, as I said, there were miles upon miles of these caverns going through the underground, leading all over. They may have had numerous entrances and exits. Mm, I don't want to go. I've been thinking about it. You're not, you're not good underground, huh, Gene? I don't work underground. Now, understand, I spent years riding the subway trains in New York, as you did, Chris. So I'm used to that kind of underground. 
but I'm not used to the underground where you go into the cave and you wonder about it. You know, part of it is that I knew Richard Shaver many years ago. And, of course, the legends about the Dero and the Tiro and the underground caverns. And the legend of this, they call it the Dero Elevator. Ever hear of that? I haven't, no. All right. Chris, you never heard of the Dero Elevator in New York City. Uh, where? No, uh, actually, okay. Gene, that's, that's the, a good one. Uh, why don't you share with us? I will share with you. Okay. In one or more high-rises in New York, there was allegedly an elevator where if you push the basement button twice, the elevator starts moving in a different direction and takes you to a place that you do not want to visit, to the caverns. That's why we call it a Dero Elevator. I think that story came originally from John J. Robinson, who some of you recall when we were playing some of the old recordings of Bob Zanotti's Coffee Clot show. John Robinson was a friend of mine, a friend of Jim Mosley, and he knew this guy during World War II, a guy named Steve Brody, an artist who claimed to have been kidnapped by Deros and to have spent a number of years there captive. So John is where I got the... Dero elevator thing. Did they abduct him for, as breeding stock? or If you recall the show, his remembrance of it is that Steve Brody lived in a rooming house that Jack lived shortly after he broke up with his first wife. And after a while, Brody disappeared. And then he heard from a friend of his who saw Brody out west, apparently in a trance, as if they, the Deros, whatever, had taken control over him again. He never saw him again, so we don't know what happened to Steve Brody. But if his descendants are listening to the PowerCast, we'd like to know. Although we're talking about somebody who must have been in his 30s or 40s back in the 1940s. So I don't know who would still be alive who would remember him. You never know. The book is called The Van Meter Visitor. And I don't know how this segues to elevators in New York that go in the wrong direction and take you to the Dero Caves. The author, by the way, is Chad Lewis. Much more to come. With Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner, and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, and carting to a private bank, having it lent back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. 
Alabama, it's coming, and it's the event you and your family will not want to miss. The Southern Preppers Convention and Green Living Expo, Saturday and Sunday, September 7th and 8th, at the newly renovated Oxford Civic Center in Oxford, Alabama, where admission is totally free. There's something for everyone. Free classes and seminars on topics like food preparation, food harvesting, and food preservation. Free giveaways every 30 minutes. You could win seed kits, food, doTERRA oil, starter kits, water filters, and more, including a year's supply of food. Guest speakers include Bob from Black Dog Survival School, Mike from White Harvest Seeds, Dr. Tom Stoner from Dr. Med Kits, and more. And be sure to stop by and check out the Longevity Booth, the Southern Preppers Convention and Green Living Expo, September 7th and 8th, a weekend of education and preparation that's totally free to attend. Don't forget, the Country Inn and Suites in Oxford has special rates available for those who attend the expo. Get all the details at thesouthernpreppers.com. That's thesouthernpreppers.com. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So, Chris O'Brien, you never heard of the Dero Elevator, did you? No, that's a new one on me. Uh, you know, I've always wondered. There's some pretty interesting you know, buildings and elevators in New York, Uh I have heard stories of elevators that if you hit the button a certain uh, sequence that it stops at an in-between unregistered floor. There's elevators that you can't go all the way to the penthouse unless you have, you know, uh, special access or basement areas uh, are, are similar. So it wouldn't surprise me a bit if there was uh, some sort of, you know, secret elevator at, let's say, uh, Denver International Airport or, you know, Sulphur Springs, uh, Arkansas what is a white sulfur springs with the the hotel that you uh you have the the big huge underground continuation of government facility and all that uh there's been some interesting news uh that's come out uh in the media lately about people kind of suggesting that the 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 ruling elite since march have been stocking up their underground escape hatches rat holes if you will so the culture has has had uh for many generations stories about uh, underground dwellers and areas but we do know that the u.s government has been very active underground and and has uh established quite an infrastructure underground uh to what extent we don't really know of course i do remember talking to a miner who worked underground at the los alamos lab who claims he broke in his team broke into an ancient what he described as at least 10,000-year-old uh, workmanship uh, that obviously was man-made uh, tunnel system. And, and so this, this wouldn't surprise me a bit, Gene. Well, you know, all the things we're hearing now about the admission that there really is an Area 51, are you surprised, about the influences of fiction? Like, for example, I expect that Dan Aykroyd, when he was involved in the writing of the original Ghostbusters, and he's interested in psychic phenomena, was thinking about the phenomenon of certain buildings being doorways to psychic events or strange creatures. There was an ABC TV show called 666 with Terry O'Quinn, who you remember from Lost and Hawaii Five-0 as a star. It didn't last very long, but it was about this building that supposedly is, I guess, a residence for worshippers of Satan or something like that. So there always are crazy legends of this kind of thing, where you have underground caverns, where you have 
strange places, and they influence our fiction. Yeah, like the Dakota on uh, Central Park West, where John Lennon and Yoko Ono lived, where Lennon was murdered. Uh, that was the um, the scene, uh, the site, rather, of Rosemary's Baby. That's and right. there's quite an interesting history of the Dakota, how it may have been, uh, had some sort of, of magical or, or occult design work done on it. Uh, there's some pretty interesting sites around New York and, and other cities, too, as well, that uh, you kind of have to scratch your head and wonder, what were they thinking when they designed Washington, D.C., or, or some of the other um, interesting uh, stories about Phoenix, how it was designed. So uh, this wouldn't surprise me a bit. Well, what do you think, Chad, about underground uh, scenarios? Some of the, the largest underground facilities we know in North America are just up the road in Kansas or down the road in Kansas. For instance, around the, the, the abandoned uh, limestone mines uh, south of Atchison, Kansas. Uh, uh, have you done any digging around for underground uh, connections? Yeah, we looked at a lot of underground stories, and I have to say I love the elevator story. Next time I'm out in New York, I'm going to be pushing that button and trying it for myself. So, But yeah, we looked at uh, a lot of underground stories and connections. And of course, we know that the government has a lot of bases underground. We know that there have been a lot of reports of UFOs coming seemingly from underground or underwater. So their bases too. Um, a lot of people just hearkening back to the, the visitor that a lot of people believe that the miners actually dug something up that it released. It was getting so far down that they released this creature that should not have been released. And if it happened there, I wonder just how many other places around the world where straight out of the, the movie, the descent. Yeah. A rain of fire when, uh, mm-hmm. who was it? Uh, Christian Bale's, uh, parents, uh, accidentally broke into an underground lair of a dragon and released it in London. And, and they, they took over the planet and burnt everything. Well, of course, it starts to read like an H.P. Lovecraft novel. You know, where you always talked about these ancient creatures from below the earth. You know, it's interesting. Richard Shaver told me he thought Lovecraft was putting factual elements in his fiction. Mm. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of these, these stories that are, in, in quotes, you know, fiction were maybe a little more science faction. Cthulhu loathes Eugene. Ah, <laughs> uh, I am not going on an elevator and pressing the basement button twice. I assure you of that. I am not looking for secret keys. I am not looking to enter a cave. And we used to have a joke when, years ago, we visited Major Donald Kehoe, the pioneer UFO researcher, near his home. He lived in Luray, Virginia, near the caverns. And, of course, Keogh didn't invite us to his home. We met at a diner. And maybe we had some sandwiches or some refreshments. But we used to joke, this is back in the 1960s, maybe Keogh's real home was in those caverns. Mm. Well, Peter I, Davenport lives in an underground abandoned missile silo. I don't think he's fully living there yet. I think he's still basically reconditioning it. Oh, well, he wants to live in an abandoned night. Yes, he does. But if you remember the last time he was on the show, I asked him. Right. And he said well, they were still, still trying to pay for the door. They had to do all this renovation. And eventually he'd be living there. Then we'll visit him. You know, we'll go up there and visit him. That might be fun. You'll shoot some video. 
Of course, we may not return, so that might be, you know, prior to the last episode of the Paracast. Just think yeah. about that. I always Just, think if I go on this investigation, someone else will be doing the show next week because I won't be able to. You know, just don't go on an underground cavern tour with a tour guide named Dante. I don't think so. Not even Joe Dante, the director. Chris, any more questions or have we covered everything? Well, we have covered a lot of the areas that the questions address, but but uh, here's an interesting one. Uh, this comes from Steve C., who I... Uh, mentioned uh, was a lurker at the Paracast. He's not a lurker. He's actually posting messages and getting involved at forum.theparacast.com. Steve, uh, shout out to you. Do you, Chad, find any similarities between this creature and reports of a flying humanoid creature a few years ago in Mexico? If you will recall, there was a spate of these sightings, uh, I think in the end of the 90s, beginning of uh, the 2000s, where these these strange, uh, I guess, witch-like uh, creatures were seen flying around uh, Mexico. And I've had a number of sightings in the San Luis Valley over the past couple, three years of, uh, of a winged flying humanoid, uh, kind of similar to a cross between Mothman and Dracula or something. Uh, do you see any, any similarities at all between these recent reports and, and uh, the visitor? Well, certainly the ability of flight, and for some of them looking as though these humanoids have wings or that they're able to uh, fly without necessarily flapping, almost as though they're sailing. So I think those are a lot of similarities too. the dark features of these humanoids, if you will. And that's one thing about the visitors that we don't necessarily know what color it was. It was never reported. So we always assume that it was black or a dark color. Even at, at night, it would have appeared that way. So that's just kind of what we attributed to it. So I think it's it's possible that these things are the same thing that have been appearing for hundreds of years. I don't know what to tell you. As I said, I don't want to go down there. But certainly it's clear something weird did happen. And we could always hope that when you have a book like this, it will encourage people to dig into their attics and maybe there are diaries in other records of people who lived at the time, they can tell us more about what happened. Because it, it just opens up the climate, and you become so curious that something is going on out there and you want to see what happened. But I'll tell you, it seemed to have produced more evidence of this case. Once again, I'm going to raise it, and they'll be attacking me in the morning, as they always do. More evidence that this case occurred than the Aztec case occurred. Do you agree with me, Chris? I'll answer it on the other side. With Gene and Chris, you're in... The Paracast. Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the Earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and Fortean phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free, sent right to your mailbox. Plus, a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MrUFO at WebTV.net. Find out what they 
don't want you to know. Gold. It's like nothing else on Earth. From the Romans through the Renaissance, from the Industrial Age to the Space Age, gold has weathered the test of time. For 6,000 years, gold has remained the ultimate store of wealth. According to the World Gold Council and the U.S. Mint, demand is at an all-time high. The stage is being set for the reemergence of gold as the common-sense alternative to a fiat paper currency that gets weaker every day. Midas Resources is proud to offer the hard-hitting report that arms you with the truth you need to protect you and your family from the Fed's plans for your hard-earned money. Don't gamble with your future. Call Midas Resources today and ask for your free copy of As Good As Gold. Call 1-800-686-2237 for the report the Fed hopes you'll never see. As Good As Gold can be yours by calling 800-686-2237. If you have ever thought about owning gold, you must read this report. Call Midas today at 800-686-2237. Are you still a traditional smoker? Now experience a new lifestyle and try vaping with e-cigarettes by LeSig. Imagine no ashes, stains, nasty smell, or coughing and hacking. With LeSig e-cigarettes revolutionary microelectronic technology, rechargeable battery, and unique replaceable cartridge, you'll get all the benefits and satisfaction of smoking without the hazards. Choose your taste from a wide variety of our new American-made vaporeate e-liquids at LeSig.com. And LeSig smokes the competition by serving thousands of worldwide customers with real people customer service, fast, free, same-day shipping, and a 30 day warranty and satisfaction guarantee. So are you ready for a new vaping lifestyle? Then call 870-518-4307. That's 870-518-4307. Or visit LeSig.com, spelled L-E-C-I-G.com. LeSig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker. How's your pH today? Are you acidic? How alkaline is your blood and body? What is the pH of the water you drink? We are AlkaVision, and we have the answers. Drinking pure, high-alkaline water is one of the most important factors in maintaining vibrant health and high energy because bacteria and viruses cannot survive in an alkaline, high-pH environment. If your drinking water isn't at a pH level of 8 or higher, boost it with AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops. Our unique formula will alkalize your water, ridding your body of harmful toxins and acid, and help regain energy and health. Simply add 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops to help your body rid itself of acidic waste, increase oxygen, and raise the pH of your body to optimal levels. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops for only $29.95 at AlkaVision.com. Spelled A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 800-518-7615. 800-518-7615. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. With Gene and Chris in the Paracast, we have Chad Lewis, co-author of The Van Meter Visitor. And I'll ask him to tell us something about his co-authors in a moment. But Chris... Don't you think this case maybe has more evidence in favor of it than Aztec? I do, Gene. And, you know, being in the process of, of just combing the archives and, and looking through historical uh, research for old cases that go back to the Middle Ages, um, I've 
I think I've identified, for instance, the oldest known documented description of livestock mutilations from 1606 in England in the diary and and court records of uh, James I of England. I'm, I'm so happy that Chad and his co-authors have, have found this primary account uh, from the time and then been able to build on it and, and use that as a signpost and, and uh, a kind of a pathways, to, uh, investigative pathways to do research. That is one thing that's glaringly uh, deficient and missing from the Aztec case. We don't have anything from the actual time period where this was alleged to have occurred that's part of the public record, whether it's a media account, diary account, journals, police reports, anything like that. In the case of the Van Meter Visitor, we do have a very compelling case that actually gained some traction in the media. You know, my hat's off to you. This is, <laughs> Chad, I, I've been going through this just recently here myself. This is a very difficult, even in this, you know, this wonderful age of the Internet, it's still very difficult to do research back over 100 years like this. And uh, my hat's off to you. I thank you. And, and most of it, you know, was done just through digging that nowadays, if you get a case of something, you can just do it all on the Internet. But most of this was off Internet that we had to dig through the old archives, the microfilm, the microfiche, and God forbid, actually interview people around the area. You had to actually travel somewhere. Yes. And and that was the most fun for me is that I think when you go to some of these places, whether you're out in the middle of the desert in Aztec where the, the old sign says where it allegedly crashed, or you're looking at the, you know, downtown Point Pleasant, West Virginia, that I think it's important to be at some of these places to get a feel of what may have happened or what they were seeing. And uh, obviously, even if you go there and nothing happens, you're going to have a, a blast getting there. And uh, that's half the fun, you know, taking the back roads, staying at these mom and pop motels that you might normally not uh, have the courage to do so. Do they have Internet access at least? Uh, yes, they, they did. Uh, very sketchy. The town doesn't have a hotel or motel. Again, it's almost as though little has changed since 1903. And in fact, since 1903, the downtown itself has shrunk over the years, so there's less <laughs> businesses there. Yeah. So you can really walk through downtown Van Meter and say, hey, I'm in 1903. Yeah. Sounds like you're going into the representation of a Stephen King book. Right. <laughs> it feels like that. Right. Well, you're going into Haven, and you've got everybody who has troubles. I can't explain that if you don't see the show on the Sci-Fi Channel. It's coming back in a month or two. And you just watch it and watch the mythos. It's really fascinating. Chris? Yeah, I was going to ask you, uh, in your research uh, endeavors and travels through the history of, of Iowa, I just today was working on a section of my new book called Stalking the Herd, which is a, a case history and a, an analysis of, of the cattle mutilation phenomenon. Some of the earliest cases in the 1970s, Prior to this becoming a huge news story and the and the the panic and hysteria really that that grew out of the the events that occurred in seventy four and especially seventy five and seventy six back in nineteen seventy one there were a series of very interesting pig abductions in Iowa that uh in one case uh it, it was fifty nine animals and they were the best animals from the entire hog farm according to the owner uh were were just swooped down and taken away, uh, presumably by helicopters. Um, helicopters were sighted by law enforcement in the area right around the time when these pigs were reported missing. 
Have you done any sort of digging or come across any sort of information from the late 60s, early 70s about strange animal abductions or mutilation cases from uh, that part of Iowa or Kansas, anywhere in the Midwest there? No, certainly not dating that far back. And I'd be interested in hearing more of your research and the fact that, you know, 1970s, early 70s of these creatures being missing, especially the, the pigs rather than cattle or even horse. Was there ever an explanation given? Uh, no. Uh, Military-style helicopter with a strange circular white marking just in front of the tail was a, a, about as much information as was really present in police reports and, and a few very small mentions in local papers at the time. But evidently, there were quite a number of these in the spring of 71 into the summer. And then it seemed to hopscotch to Kansas. Um, there were some cases in Missouri, kind of north northwestern Missouri, uh, where animals were found uh, shot in some cases, but mostly just plain disappeared. I have a theory that possibly some of the perpetrators of these <laughs> particular controversial uh, crimes, if you will, figured out that it was probably less problematic uh, to leave the animals there than to take them and generate police reports and, and newspaper stories and that sort of thing. And we do see a, a definite switch in tactics uh, as we go through the fall into the winter of 71, into um, the spring of 72. Then these animals tended to be cattle and they uh, tended to be left behind. So, But if you do ever happen on any sort of documentation or stories, newspaper articles, uh, mentions of early 70s cases, uh, I'd really love it if you'd let me know because I, I feel these, these early cases prior to the media getting involved could be really, really important in terms of possibly helping us identify the perpetrators. Yeah, it sounds fascinating research. And again, I'm just uh, very interested in the these creatures being taken instead of you know found with all of their remains removed, the sexual organs removed. I love the fact that they're just gone. <laughs> well, one of my favorites was uh, uh, the Alexander Hamilton case, of course, from uh, from Yates Center, Kansas, in 1897, where one of the pillars of the community reported that uh, he saw his calf bawling in the in the field and looked up, and there was this huge airship up there with a rope coming down. And it had been dragging off his calf, and it got stuck in the fence. So he, he cut the calf out of the fence and tried to pull the rope off, and, and, and the airship sailed along and, and dragging the calf, bawling in the air. And then the next day, I think, uh, was found like a mile or two away, but it was missing all its innards, just the skin and, and, and skull and leg bones were, were present. Uh, I've done quite a bit of digging on this case. And contrary to what Jerry Clark says, uh, that it was he was a, a member of a liar's club and and this was all an elaborate hoax. The actual affidavit signed by the twelve pillars of the community, the banker, the doctor, the the owner of the hardware store, very similar to the Van Meter case. The pillars of the community swore a legal notarized affidavit that that they believed Alexander Hamilton's story and he had no reason to make something so outlandish up. So. You know, again, this, these Midwest precursor-type sightings and, and um, unexplained events, I think, could be very, very important. And that's why I'm really happy that, uh, that you and your co-authors have taken the time and taken the, uh, you know, it upon yourselves to go ahead and look into a, a very interesting standalone case like this. It, it is fascinating to, to go through the book and, and to read all the, the, the amazing research you guys did. We have Chad Lewis joining us, one of the authors of The Van Meter Visitor. With Gene and with Chris, you're in the Paracast. 
The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. Great news, pure water lovers. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has a special discount offer for all GCN listeners. You can't do better than a Big Berkey for economy. For only 1.7 cents a gallon, a single set of filters can last for 5 to 10 years. There's none better than a Big Berkey for emergency preparedness as a backup water source. And you just can't beat a Big Berkey to remove dangerous chlorine, all types of fluoride, pathogenic bacteria, cysts, parasites, and unhealthy bodies products from municipal water. Berkey water filter systems are even powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water. For the gold standard in water filters, get a Big Berkey at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. And all GCN listeners get 5% off all ceramic filter systems. For details, call 1-877-99-BERKEY. That's 877-99-BERKEY. Big Berkey water filters for the love of clean water. Before another autumn arrives, celebrate the closing days of summer with the first annual Blue-Green Organic Summerfest. Friday, September 20th through Sunday the 22nd on beautiful Madeline Island, Wisconsin. It's three days of family-friendly fun and admission is totally free. There's arts and crafts vendors, a farmer's market, and activities for the kids. Plus, great live music with nine bands, both regional and local, including headliners The Suburbs and Allison Scott. It's hosted by Blue-Green, serving great organic food on Bell Street on the Restaurant and Event Center grounds. Sponsorship and vendor booths are still available. Call 952-556-8707. The Blue Green Organic Summerfest, September 20th through 22nd. Madeline Island's never seen anything like it, and it's free. Like us on Facebook and visit BlueGreenOrganicSummerfest.com. Sponsored by South Shore Brewery, Fresh Key, Fry Wines, Freezel, Legendary Waters, The Storm 99.7, and 90 for Life Longevity. Would you like to be able to disappear, to be invisible to the NSA and Obama spying thugs? Fortunately, there are still a handful of people carrying the torch for freedom and privacy. My friend Chris Peterson is one of them, and he made a video at privacyradio.com that you need to see right now. He'll teach you how to communicate privately, take your identity off the grid, and even disappear forever. Go to privacyradio.com now to see for yourself. Hurry, though. It's just a matter of time before Obama's minions have him shut down and this information is lost forever. privacyradio.com 
Is your dream more time, more money, or better health? Stop by our Longevity booth at the Minnesota State Fair and say hello to the GCN team reps and get your healthy energy drink on the way to the fair. Sign up for door prizes and find out about our amazing home-based business opportunity as featured in Success Magazine, located near the main entry to the State Fair off Snelling and Dan Patch Avenue at 1366 Snelling Avenue North or call 651-261-2040. Hi, this is Ted Phillips, listening to the Paracast, and it's as good as it gets, believe me. So if our friend, my friend of maybe 40 years, Jerry Clark, listens to you right now, Chris O'Brien, I suppose he will disagree, but maybe the next time he comes on the show, we'll talk to him about it, okay? I will. And I'll also ask him about the conversation he had with another in, uh, researcher about that particular case. So. That would be fascinating. Chad, before we go on, I wanted to ask you quickly here. We've talked to you, and you're just one of three authors of this book. Can you tell us about your colleagues? Yes, uh, that should be noted. Again, I'm just one of the three researchers, and the other two are Noah Voss and Kevin uh, Nelson, who the media have dubbed them the real-life Winchesters from uh, obviously from the TV show Supernatural. I always like to say they're the Winchester brothers, but badass. Um, and they really are. They're uh, researchers where or Kevin's more into uh, his research of American folk magic and the occult, where Noah started out doing UFO research and that blossomed into others. But we all kind of have that sense of adventure that although they're, they're great researchers, we make an as an adventure that we're hitting the back roads. We're stopping at these mom and pop places. You know, we're down at the local watering hole, talking to people, trying to get stories out of them. And it's, you know, really kind of gritty and dark. Some of the the stuff we do. So it's good to have other people there that, you know, uh, have some expertise as well. All right. Assembling these people and trying to put this together. Do you find yourself agreeing on everything or disagreeing? And when you do disagree, what areas does one or the other emphasize? Yeah, I think when you get three people who have all tore into the research, you're probably going to get three different conclusions. The one thing that we all agreed on is that it was one of the most baffling cases we ever stumbled across and that no matter how many theories we put together, we all agreed that we're not certain any of us are, are right. But I think it comes in where just our, our research talents may lie, where, you know, Kevin looked into a, a lot of it being an ultra terrestrial, and he was looking into that of these interdimensional beings and, you know, talpas and other things. Whereas, you know, that's not really my field of research where, you know, I think it's a possibility, but I like to try to focus more on what's here and now. Whereas, you know, Noah brought up other things, um, that it might have been just a cryptid of the time or a known animal that was misidentified. So I think rather than a lot of disagreements, we all tried to focus on our strengths and what we could bring to the the research, where I think that's very important when you're dealing with a, a new case where there are a lot of dead ends. It's good to have that critical thinking of where can we go next with this? If we don't have this record, where else can we find it? How long have you guys been working together on this kind of investigation? 
Yeah, we've been legend tripping around the U.S. and uh, the world uh, for about 15 years now. And they're, uh, they're the core researchers that I deal with quite a bit. Actually, Noah and I just got back on Monday from an expedition to Lake Pepin to capture the, the sea monster called Pepe there, which unfortunately we came back empty-handed, but we did rescue a paddle boat that was stranded with dozens of tourists on it. So there's something to say about that. So we have a Batman-like creature in your book, and you guys are acting like Batman. Yeah, we got this call. Uh, we were on Lake Pepin, which is on the Mississippi River, bordering Wisconsin and Minnesota. It's about 25 miles long, two miles wide. It really looks like Loch Ness. If you were thrown into Lake Pepin because of the bluffs and the size of the place, you wouldn't be able to tell where you were at, except I was able to swim in Lake Pepin. And when I put my foot in Loch Ness, it felt like someone was throwing pins in it. I'm from Wisconsin, and I'm, I'm used to cold water. But, boy, let me tell you, Loch Ness is freezing. But they, they have a lot of similarities. But, yeah, we were out. Uh, we got a call, a distress call from a tourist boat that operates an old paddle boat. And we happened to have a big expedition rig, so we were able to swing by and make some huge wakes to pull them off the sandbar and, there were a few dozen cheering tourists, but put it all in a day's work for a monster hunter. Let me ask you, amongst your travels, have you run into many cases where there's just nothing there? You look at all the information, you look at the records, you come out and say, you know what, someone's playing a game with us. There's no authenticity to it. Yes. Normally, it's not where I think people are hoaxing intentionally. Most of the time, I just tack it up to being a folklore or legend. Down in Central America, they have a, a creature that they call the La Llorona. And it's this beautiful woman that would appear on the side of a riverbank and lure men into the woods where she would turn into a giant snake and devour the men. I think it was nothing more than women telling this to their husbands so they come home after work. But I would hear, you know, I would hear all these stories and yet I couldn't find one credible witness who had one seen La Llorona or two that, you know, their loved one has been taken by this, this creature, the supernatural being. So I get a lot of cases like that where I love the folklore and the legend of it, but how, how much it's deemed in, in reality, I don't know. La Llorona, by the way, extends the, the legend of La Llorona, of course, with, with kind of subcultural details, extends all the way up into the Rocky Mountain Southwest. Also, um, I've done a, a bit of digging into this particular uh, urban myth or legend, if you will. And it does have, um, it seemingly has a history going all the way back to uh, pre-Spanish uh, uh, conquest of, of America back into Spain. And also there's a similar version of it down in, in the uh, Mixteca lands uh, that probably uh, spring from some sort of Mayan tradition as well. So it's interesting that the... You know, the legend has the detail in South America of a giant snake that comes out and eats you. Basically, up in, in, in Colorado, it's just a woman wailing for her children. And uh, it's, she's the sound of her voice is, is terrifying enough to keep anybody away from looking for her. And if you were one of her kids, you would wonder what things you did bad for her to be wailing at you. Well, the kids drowned. That's why she was wailing, as uh, far as the, the legend goes. And so that's half legends. the fun is watching these stories progress that, you know, the woman who's lost her children 
out there like, you know, the Irish banshee out there wailing away and how it varies not only in different countries, but even in, in the U.S. in different portions. These legends have little twists and turns to them that I think are fascinating to research. Well, in terms of the Banshee, there's only five families that the Banshees wail when one of them's going to die, and one of them's the O'Briens. <laughs> Do you know I that? didn't know that. So, so if we hear, instead of the Paracast, some kind of wailing, we better look out for you. Mm, that's all right. I, I'm not worried. That's not my real name, so. Well, that's right. Okay. Yes, we remember what the real name is. We won't go into that here. Progressing, let's look at the future here, Chad Lewis. Okay, so this book is out. We hope that 20 or 30 million people will buy a copy because it's a quick read. It's a fascinating book about a real wonderful, thought-provoking journey into the past to find out what really happened. So where do you go from here? Do you have some cases on the agenda? Do you have some travels that you've already engaged in and you're putting down the words to paper? Yeah, I'm doing right now a book on Wisconsin sea serpents. Now, believe it or not, in my home state, during the late 1800s, early 1900s, we had several dozen lakes, rivers, and streams that were all thought to be inhabited by these giant beasts, some of which are still thought to be there today. So that's what I'm working on right now. Of course, every time we do a new printing of the the Van Meter Visitor, we're adding new stuff, and eventually, I hope, with shows like this that the word gets out where people start digging through their family history that maybe one day we'll we'll put out the the final edition of it where the case will be solved one way or the other and that's my main goal is to keep adding evidence because i feel this is a case that will probably linger on for many more years and maybe some more evidence will come like i said something in the attic somewhere maybe you grew up in van meter maybe you still live there but you have this stuff in the attic. Maybe Brad Steiger has it. He, of course, has a huge amount of information. He lives in Iowa. He has all the information. Chad Lewis joins us with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are... The GCN Radio Network. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com slash radio, DreamHost.com slash radio. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. There are those curious about Bitcoins and those using and making money with Bitcoins. What are Bitcoins? A Bitcoin is the first decentralized currency that can be easily transferred from person to person over the Internet. No bank needed. 
This means lower fees and accounts can never be frozen, limited, or closed. You are in control of your money. And the best part? You can start earning and making money with Bitcoins right away. No computer or expertise is required to earn money with Bitcoins, and a growing number of merchants now accept Bitcoins. Plus, they're easily exchanged for dollars, euros, and more. Learn more about the easiest, cheapest, most profitable way to enter the Bitcoin market and get paid every two weeks by one of the fastest-growing Bitcoin miners in the world at cloudhashing.com. Just like it sounds, cloudhashing.com. That's cloudhashing.com. We mine your business. We live in a complicated society. Stressful issues are always popping up. Have you ever been treated unfairly by someone? Have you ever been overcharged for a repair? Have you ever signed a contract or a document? Worried about identity theft? How many times have you been in those unique situations where you just wanted to call an attorney to find out if you're right or wrong or what your legal rights are? But every time you think about calling an attorney, what do you think about first? That's right. Who do you call and how much will it cost? Our friends at Legal Shield have found a solution. With a nationwide network of 6,900 attorneys who average over 19 years of experience, Legal Shield's law firms take over 40,000 calls per week helping their members. For less than $20 per month, you can have access to Legal Shield on everything from the trivial to the traumatic. Let Legal Shield stand up for your rights at lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com. Or call 855-340-SAVE. 855-340-7283. Ouch! My back is out again. Hi, Dr. Ortman with Wellspring Spinal Care. If you're experiencing neck, mid, or lower back pain, this information is for you. One of the complaints that I hear is patients receive their typical adjustment, only having to repeat them as the pain returns. Putting the bones back in place is only half of the battle. At Wellspring Spinal Care, we have the entire solution. We use the NUCA approach, utilizing three-dimensional x-rays and gentle touch technology to deliver specific correction. We then design Design a custom nutritional supplement program which provides essential nutrients targeting the areas of concern. With a NUCA approach and proper nutrition, you'll be on your way to a faster and more permanent recovery. To get you on the road to wellness, visit DrOrtman.com. That's DrOrtman.com. Or call us today, 952-303-9124. That's 952-303-9124. Wellspring Spinal Care. Chiropractic done right. Hi, this is nuclear physicist lecturer Stanton Friedman. You are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. With Gene and Chris in the Paracast, Chad Lewis joins us. I assume then that you and your crew have come in contact with Brad Steiger from time to time. Yes, especially being that he's from Iowa, lives in Iowa. We uh, had him do the foreword for the Van Meter Visitor, and he had actually talked briefly about it or written about it in one of his books, a small little paragraph that appeared out of a New York paper. And uh, he recalled that when we talked to him about it. And he was just very, very uh, glad to help out knowing that this was going to get a, a full length book. But uh, obviously, when you can use Brad as a encyclopedia of knowledge dating back decades, it's a real treasure. I mean, some of these things I'd rather have uh, a researcher that with the credibility of uh, Mr. Steiger than I would Google. Well, of course, he's written, what, 2,000 books or something like that. 
You I know, think we, he's on twenty five hundred now. No, actually, I think it's like one hundred seventy. But who's counting? Right. You know, I don't do that. I actually wrote over thirty books. But I reached a point where I said, you know what? This isn't really paying off for the amount of work you've got to do. There has to be a better way to make a living. And I said, well, I talk a lot. So here I am, for better or worse. Would you ever consider collecting anything in the UFO realm? Obviously, you're interested in the subject. You've covered it. Are you ever interested in trying to give your slant to what's causing UFOs to appear? Well, certainly I've done uh, a lot of UFO research and abduction research. Uh, That's when I started out. I started uh, picking the brain of researchers, you know, 20 years ago when I was uh, talking to John Carpenter, the abduction researcher, not the director, and others where I brought him to Wisconsin to compare notes. And uh, I've written several stories in some of my other books about specific cases, but I love the field of UFO research because, again, it's always changing. And I hate to sound like a broken record, but because I'm puzzled by so many of these things that I just don't have the answers, maybe that's what keeps me going, especially in the field of UFOs where it's easy to get bogged down in every book coming out about Roswell and the same few cases. But when you get these new cases, I think that's where the fun and excitement come together. Also, I think we've reached a point with some of these old cases where there's just no more evidence to find right now. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, we mentioned one, and I won't mention that name again, Aztec, that I don't see how they're going to find more information. I am delighted to be proven wrong, by the way. I'm not dogmatic about the case. I just think we've given it fair coverage, and it doesn't pass muster. But there are so many things happening. I mean, if you pick up a copy of MUFON's journal, And you see almost every issue there is an interesting sighting. So people are still having sightings, and these sightings are not dredging up old reports, but fairly new cases. I mean, in 2012, especially the first early part of the year in late 2011, there were lots and lots of cases. So you have to think, even though people will say, well, the UFOs have left us, they sure haven't, not based on that particular publication or some of the others. Yeah, you get you. Uh, it's amazing when you find that people are experiencing these things, thousands of them. It may not get the the media attention it once did, but yeah, if you grab the MUFON journal, you'd be amazed at how many credible sightings are taking place all over the U.S. Or if you go to, as you guys mentioned earlier, Peter Davenport's place, um, his website there, it's amazing how many people are still seeing things. And the thing, a person like you, who has, I think, a more enlightened viewpoint will discover is when you go to a place where people see UFOs, and I can't help but emphasize this again and again, as Chris says, that you will always or invariably see that people have seen other strange things in or around the UFO encounters. But if your questionnaire covers UFOs, not what else have you seen that's strange lately? You'll never learn about that. It's like living in a tunnel. Speaking of tunnels. That's an amazing point, and I agree completely with that. When we're researching a case, whether it's a a haunting or UFOs, we always throw out there that while we're, let's say it's a UFO, we'll always say, well, anything else weird, you know, hauntings, cattle mutilations, just anything out of the ordinary. And it's amazing when you ask people sometimes about what you're investigating, and they say, nope, never heard of that. And then you bring up other things, and they'll say, oh, but you might be interested in this. That shouldn't hold uh, only to paranormal-type events. I also look for aberrant social behavior, weird weather, um, strange series of of synchronicities and coincidences. 
any number of a litany of things that can can occur that may give us some sort of insight into a, a wave of activity. And it tends to be multidiscipline type activity as well. I figure we're waiting for you, Chad, to say something. Oh, okay. I thought you would jump in again there. I agree 100% that you have to expand what you're asking about. And oftentimes it may not happen right away. It may be a witness can't think of anything or recall it. But as the, the days go on, they may contact you and say, you know, I don't know if this really fits, but you might be interested in what happened here. And I think sometimes if you're just too focused in on one thing where some people, that's their, their main focus of one case, I think you might lose out on some of these other areas. And the thing is here, look, after all these years that we've been studying, say, UFOs, we have gone nowhere. Take mm-hmm. a book from the 1950s from Kehoe and other people, Edward Ruppelt, and read the contents, read about the cases, and tell me if we know anything more about the phenomenon today than we did 60 years ago. If you can tell me that, well, maybe I'm wrong. But I don't see it. And I think if we open our eyes to a wide and wonderful and sometimes frightening paranormal world out there, we're going to discover that a lot of crazy things are going on under our very noses. And certainly the mainstream media doesn't know about it because they're too busy with silly political talk, mindless political talk about stuff that sometimes doesn't even make any sense. And they don't explore what's going on in this country. We can talk about that on a different show. And what's going on in our world with all these weird things going on. But it's certainly an upfront and personal experience to anybody who has these encounters everywhere. Do you find, for example, and this is one of the last questions we'll be asking on the episode, do you find, Chad, that people after having these experiences are just really bummed out, they're frightened? Yeah, I think a lot of the people that I've encountered that have had experiences are, one, um, they're, they're logical, rational, down-to-earth people, and they're trying to solve it, that they've had something unexplained happen to them. It may have caused a ripple in their belief systems or their outlook on life, and they're trying to piece the, the puzzle together. And in a way, they're doing the same thing I think all of us are doing, that they're just trying to find answers to to what really happened to them. Do you think in your lifetime we will find those answers? I'm sort of feeling jaded over it. I think Chris is a mite more optimistic because, of course, he's a young whippersnapper. I'm right in your backyard there. I don't think so. I you hit you hit it home when you talked about the UFO research that. Just digging back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, they were reporting the same things we're seeing now. They had no idea what was going on. And it's very frustrating because 100 years from now, it may be the same thing. But I think in my lifetime, we certainly won't know. And maybe we're not meant to. I don't know. Flying saucers are here to make us think. Think about what? That's another possibility. And also the possibility that we're looking at a cultural phenomenon and that as we expand our horizons, what we see won't be flying saucers anymore. But that, of course, goes against the grain, because if you're going to assume that UFOs are really just spaceships, well, you expect that eventually they'll stage a mass landing and let us know who or what they are. But if it's a cultural phenomenon, maybe part of our collective unconscious, I don't know, maybe still an external reality, how could you know where it's going to end what shape it's going to take. Chad Lewis, please tell our listeners where they can find more of the things that you do. Sure. Best way to go is thebandmetervisitor.com. 
And by the way, we have a link to that site. We learn more about the authors, and you can buy an autographed copy of the book, The Van Meter Visitor. Chris O'Brien, tell us more about where we can find your stuff. Well, it's a strange planet we live in, as we, uh, again, found out today. And uh, it's ourstrangeplanet.com. And he's always adding content to the site. And he's going to add a feature where you can buy his books real soon. Of course, Stalking the Herd will be out, I guess, October. So stay tuned for that and place your advanced orders. And we'll try to work out something with Chris so he gets you autographed copies, by the way. You can find us on Twitter, where we're known as The Paracast. We are The Paracast on Twitter. If you go to theparacast.com, you can check out our forums, check out the shows, download every single episode going back to 2006, the first one. Chad Lewis, thank you so much for joining us this week on The Paracast. Hey, keep an eye out. The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.